I was taking a shit in Minnesota. <laughs> Who the fuck is Ryan Johnson? <laughs> he just wants to know. Yeah, he. I and I really hope someone. And I uh, say it's a he because also, you know it's all dudes. Who I just want reviews. you to know that <laughs> during the chase of the Rebel fleet, how come First Order cannot send a few ships or just one star destroyer at light speed to cut off Rebels right in front of them? I mean, the chase goes on like for so long. Finn goes to another planet. Now, this part is written in all caps. This makes entire movie ridiculous! <laughs> and that's exactly grammatically how it's written. Ridiculous. Luke know fucking that much Skywalker himself was tempted to kill his father because he was trying to be lured to the dark yeah. side in the first place. Like, he fucked his this... sister. That's how tempted he was <laughs> by sin. Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new film, Brawl in Cell Block 99, starring Vince Vaughn. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome in to episode 137 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, along with the regular Nick Cheney. Hey, just a regular old Joe over here. I know, right? Well, usually I announce it as the regulars with you and Toussaint, but Toussaint's not here, so That's there you true. go. It's true. He's missing this episode, which I still have not missed an episode. That's true. Even the Blade Runner one, which I got in late, but I got here. That's okay. We have another guest, though, for the beginning of this episode, who's going to join us to do our first segment, and that's an old friend, Kenny Marcellus, who's coughing, so that's great. <laughs> Sorry. Good, We're all that's smoking good, weed. That's I'm good bad. podcasting right there. Just kidding, cops. <laughs> Trying to hold it in. He's getting choked up. His buddy from the other podcast got married today, so. Oh, yeah. Aww. Congratulations, Drew the intern. Yeah. He's not listening, so that's <laughs> No, okay. he's not. We can take bets on how long his marriage is going to last. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, uh, welcome back, Kenny. We just actually we just uh, did an episode with you not too long ago, talking about the yeah. Halloween films, the the original oh, and yeah. the zombie version. Indeed, but it's uh, good to catch you again before the holidays. And right. uh, as always, thanks for joining us. How you guys been? Oh, pretty good. Not too bad. Yeah. It's been a very interesting year. It's of been films. a great year for me. For I mean, films I, or just in general? Oh, I thought you were talking like life. <laughs> you were talking. Yeah, I was going to say you're, you're talking films. I thought you yeah. were talking. It's been an interesting year. Nick hit puberty. I know, right? I did, actually. It <laughs> he, was exciting. He, um, he jumped into the five-foot group, so that's nice. <laughs> Yay. Welcome to the club, bro. Oh, I finally got a full-time job. <laughs> hey. Yeah. That's a that's a good place. To, when you're in your 20s and you get Which your, I am. Yes, and you finally get a full time job. It is like it's like I want to go to the thirties now. You know, like no, I, you don't. I, no, you don't. I, I literally don't. I'm just saying, like that's the unfortunate. It's you know. pretty much. It feels great at the time, but it's 
it's the beginning of the next 45 years. You know, of ironically, your life. okay, I w- <laughs> very quick detour, really quick, but I went to visit my friend Sarah, who's been on this podcast mm-hmm. uh, for our Ingmar Bergman's Persona episode. Yes. And uh, I went to visit her, and like whenever I visited her, visited her in the past, it's, I mean, it's always a weekend full of beer and uh, movies and other nameless ingredients. <laughs> and. Let me let me just say mm-hmm. that, that was a drug reference, by the way. I don't no. want to imply anything <laughs> towards. Um, but no, but every time I've been there, like before this weekend that I went, like I'm like a live wire spring chicken. I'll, you know, I could stay up till two, whatever. This time though, this is the first time I've been there. Welcome so to the club, bro. Yeah, I was like falling asleep during movies by like eleven thirty. <laughs> It was kind of sad. I mean, like the guy used to stay up till four a.m. every day. Yeah, <laughs> it's awful. So yeah, it's starting to get to me. But I'm making more money, so whatever. Hey, you know what? American dream, right there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, someday soon you can be a one percenter in right. whole public office. Yeah, so that's great. <laughs> so to answer your uh, question, Kenny, I've been all right. <laughs> good, good. Thank so you. Kenny is joining us because before talking about the uh, the new ish film uh, starring Vince Vaughn called Brawl in Cell Block ninety nine, is that the Nailed Vince it. Vaughn movie you're talking about? Yeah, Sam? that is the Vince Vaughn movie. See, I thought you were going to talk Four Christmases. I actually just watched that the other day, thinking I might be able to contribute to the rest of the conversation. Unfortunately, you can't contribute Damn at all. Damn um, it. <laughs> We're saving uh, Four Christmases for our 200th episode of yeah. Film Tank, well, which now that I've said it, I feel it's kinda like... It's kind of got to happen. Yeah, like, just as a... It's like, like how, a Predator. Yeah, I was going to say, whoops, that was a fucking stupid joke to make, because now we're watching Four Christmases. But That's anyway. okay. Well, I guess I'll be dipping out before the main review tonight. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this... Uh, <laughs> got the wrong, Vin, wrong Vince Vaughn movie. It, it's actually... You know, emails are hard. <laughs> I know Nick absolutely loved it, and it's... Um, it's definitely not the usual Vince Vaughn fare. No. We'll say that at least. No. Although, I will say this. Uh, he did a lot better work uh, in the early 2000s than he has done recently. That is true. I thought you were about to say True Detective Season 2 for some reason. And I'm glad you didn't. No, I mean, he had his high point around like Wedding Crashers and things like that. But Sure, he sure did. Well, It's so weird because what I don't understand is that he became a comedy star for a brief time, right? And I understand how that happened. But what I don't understand is how people haven't realized that he makes a much better villain than he does anything else. I know you like dis- um, domestic, disturbance. domestic disturbance. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. I mean, I joke, but actually that was like a fucking wonderful PG-13 movie. And he movie was, when was part like of 12. the bizarre Gus Van Zandt psycho remake. Which, whatever you think of that, that's really not a Vince Vaughn f- flaw so to speak like you either are digging Gus Van Zandt remaking scene by scene or you're not that's not really down in the cast yeah but anyway I think it still happens to be there I think it's probably honestly it's um uh, from just kind of like a casual Vince Vaughn fan perspective he's with his comedic stuff he's just so good at it like he's genuinely one of the funniest like comic actors I've ever seen. Like, his comedic timing... I think at his peak, he for sure... Yeah, well, and any comic actor uh, pretty much ever, in in my opinion, in the... Let's put it this way. In the mainstream modern age of comedy has a shelf life. Yeah. Like, like Will Ferrell, like, that act got old. Yeah. 
just like Vince Vaughn's did. For so. sure. And I'll say one other thing, randomly, about mm-hmm. Vince Vaughn, that that's like the last generation I think we've seen of like a troop, you know? Like, yeah. people say the Apatow gang, but that's like way too much of a big family that we can't really parse it down. But the Brat Pack was a real mm-hmm. thing back then, uh, in which Vince Vaughn, who else? Will Ferrell at that time. Mm-hmm. Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller, Luke Wilson-ish. Yeah. yeah. I mean, obviously, Owen Wilson. Yeah, some of them went in, in and out. Yeah. But that central core six or seven, whatever, like when they were in a movie, they were pretty much guaranteed laughs. And now but, when we... it went, but when it went south, it went south quickly. It did. And mm-hmm. now we have the intern. <laughs> or the intern... Yeah, the intern. I the watched end. the first... Wait, the internship. The, the internship. The intern was the Robert De Niro <laughs> yes. film. I watched the first 15 minutes of the Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler film, The House, and yeah. that was terrible. Yeah, I, I haven't watched that. Yeah. Either. Don't. I, I won't. I just I, had a conversation about Will Ferrell. Not to detour this too much. We are already there. Yeah, we're there. Detours, but <laughs> we're actually not going to uh, do an episode tonight. <laughs> my, my wife and I were talking about Will Ferrell just like a week ago and, and how... Will Ferrell in the early 2000s was like for for a lot of for me and a lot of people I knew was like must see event when he had a he movie coming out pretty and, much untouchable yeah and then around I would say I, for me personally Semi-pro. like pro Talladega Nights like 2006 ish after that everything that started coming out from him like I could I could take it or leave it I could watch it it's funny it's amusing like uh, yeah I'll do, be do you know it, do you know when his career actually started going into tailspin when he was the first guest on Conan's NBC show that's everything from <laughs> there on has, no for real wow. what was he promoting I don't Who remember knows? um but ever since then everyone was tired of his act and Conan got ruined because of Jay thing. Leno. Thanks, buddy. Even back then, during <laughs> his, I would say, I don't know, where his... That somewhat... was like the late heyday of Yeah, but like even back then, like a semi-pro and even a blaze of glory had some spark of sometimes being mm-hmm. funny, sure. like every 10 minutes or so or whatever. Uh, but now it's just like he clearly doesn't care and not in an embarrassing way. Like it's what he Well, he always... hasn't signed a deal with Netflix yet. So. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I but like get hard. The other guys was decent with my, stuff he's done with Mark Wahlberg. The other guys, terrible. actually, that's, that was one of his later ones. I kind of forgot I, about that. I haven't seen the newer one, but the first Daddy's Home wasn't terrible. Actually, like I will be a Daddy's Home defender in the sense that it was actually one of the first PG-13 movies that I've seen in a long time in which you could bring a family to, which I think is kind of Hmm. important. Like, it was not overly crude. It was uh, just a... It's Will Ferrell doing his stick, but not doing it in a way in which he's not serving He had a later film, a... uh... I can't remember what year it was, but Step Brothers was a little bit later. Yeah. Step Brothers was like that was probably the last great thing he's done, yeah. right? Yeah, well, I mean, as far as comedy, I, I think goes. the thing about all of these though is um, we kind of were saying back in in the early to mid two thousands, Will Ferrell was the headliner of anything that he was out in. But at this point, um, he's he's kind of care anything that he's been decent in or anything that's been decent with him, he's carried by who he's with. Like yeah. Mark Wahlberg is kind of saved him in a couple of his well and the daddy's home sequel which i haven't seen the poll for me was yeah. mel gibson mel and john gibson. lithgow yeah. 
So that's what I'm saying. I I still want to see it because it's a Christmas movie, yeah. and that's the only reason why I watched the first Daddy's Home the other day <laughs> because I really want to be caught up on my Daddy's Home mythology. <laughs> mythology. Oh boy, this is the most embarrassing thing. I, no, it's not. Actually. It's really not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, even though Mel Gibson's a piece of shit, I guess I will show out. You're interested, money. Like I'm sorry, but Mel Gibson has been in other shit before this movie. So why the? Who's in the Machete sequel and it was fantastic? Ah. Yeah. All I'm saying is, like, why are we drawing lines arbitrarily? I don't, I don't, I don't opinion. care for Mel Gibson at all either. Yeah. But he was the best part of that Machete sequel. I actually would agree with that. <laughs> Back to Vince Vaughn. Yes. So, what was Vince Vaughn's first movie ever? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, he early nineties. He obviously Swingers. Swingers was his, was breakout, his breakout role. Uh, Doug Lyman, man. No, but like that's weird to think about. Him and John Favreau. I mean, the first time that he really was wide open in the public eye was probably the Lost World. Lost World. I was to say that was my first exposure, which is ironic because I don't think I've ever actually seen that. You've never seen the Lost World? Yeah, he's actually not bad in that. Actually, he's one of the better parts of it. Is Lost World number two or number three? Two. Two. Okay, two. Yeah, I've seen the third one. Real quick, uh, another quick side note. Yeah, Can, can we? Can I make a, a request while I'm here? Sure. You can, sure can. we can. discuss the new Jurassic Park, uh, Jurassic World, uh, right Fallen now? Kingdom trailer? Yeah. yeah right, right now? now. Yeah. Oh, just, you're making a request? No, just before I take off at some yeah. point. It's, we... it's, it's funny because... I say we do it now? I mean, I guess while we're here. Sure, why not? Yeah. Um, I'm on the opposite spectrum because I thought it was fantastic. Oh, well, so you, no, no, no. I, I've actually kind of come around on it. Okay. I just, like, I just didn't know what my, your... My opinion on it is... They've already reached the point of no return, so they might as well go as far it's as taking they can. the Fast and Furious yes, route at this point. Absolutely, you think it's, so? It's dinosaurs well, on a uh, escape island that destroy their park. I mean, one I'm, could argue this this was happening in the first film. <laughs> like, there's, there's fucking dinosaurs brought back from no extinction, and, and that's always been the suspension of disbelief with this series. But uh, now that you've got volcanoes and people running and Dinosaurs falling into the water, and that was the first teaser trailer. I'm fully I mean, on board with, with the what this Lost film is doing. World, spoiler alert, Nick. <laughs> like, the fucking T-Rex ends up in San Diego at the end of the movie. Like, what? We kind of jumped now the I shark at that point. That. Like, also, Bob Balaban is the main villain. Oh, I love Bob Balaban. I know. Oh, That's why I said it. it. you got to watch Lost World. <laughs> yeah, I'll watch that. Let me know when you're going to do it. Let's, is that a let's Steven watch Spielberg movie? Did yeah, he do it? It is, yeah. Yes. Okay. The third one was a flaming pile of shit. We don't need to I waste saw that time on that. Theaters. Oh my god! I had a friend so who, sorry. much like Kenny, loves the Jurassic Park movies. Right. And, Maybe it wasn't Bob Balaban. I'm gonna and I, I went and saw it with him because he knew oh. I loved movies, but I Yikes. was really not a Jurassic Park oh. fan at that point. Besides, I liked the first one, but that was about it. Yeah. And man, Laura was... Dern and Sam Neill are mailing Hondo. it in. In the third one. Yes. Yeah. I, I, Arliss Howard, by the way, is is not Bob Balaban, uh, but he's also watch. from Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> he's back uh, off. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Never mind. Not watching it. Cancel but, that uh, date. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> but yeah. No, I I absolutely love the trailer. Yeah. You know, I I don't know what my deal was that first night when I watched it. You you, you texted it to me. I'm like, oh, no, this is no no. This is a, there's way too much. CGI, and you were like, "Well, it's kind of dinosaurs and Welcome volcanoes." To any <laughs> Jurassic Park movie yeah. ever, <laughs> other than the first one. I just, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I started thinking about this, and it's a, it's a realization. I, I, I think I've been putting off for a while because I was like afraid, like the Jurassic Park fanboy in me was afraid to like come out and, and admit this. But I think I just don't like 
the new people in the Jurassic World. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I just don't like Chris Pratt. <laughs> no, no, that's actually kind of where I'm going. I, yeah. No, no, no. I love Chris Pratt, but, but I don't think I like his character. I don't like Owen very much. I don't like him. I don't like what's Bryce her? Ellis Howard's I a shitty don't actress, like her. so I don't like her. I, I just, I find myself, every time I watch... I don't like her shoes. <laughs> running around in heels? You yeah. Know, like, I, I, every time I watch Jurassic World... I just cannot engage Come. with it the way that I – I can sit there and watch the original. I can watch The Lost World. I cannot watch Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> but with those first two, I, it doesn't matter. I can engage with it no matter what. They're no matter trying what. for something totally different than these new films are. Well, I don't even I, – I don't dislike Jurassic World entirely. Like I actually still will go as far as saying I love that film. It's like, a nostalgia thing. It yes, I love I love a lot of things about it, but a lot of it is based on the nostalgic parts. It's very much a if I can kind of segue into what we're going to talk about, but a Force Awakens esque oh, reboot. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> no, but like as far as like I, I wouldn't even say cash it in, but uh, so to speak, uh, creating the same meal with slightly uh, different ingredients. Yeah. Well, I. Just to put a bow on it, like I, I tie that bow. <laughs> I do enjoy the callbacks and the nostalgic stuff, and I even do like some of the things that they're going for with Jurassic World. Um, but what I'm, I guess, what I'm most excited about with with Fallen Kingdom is what's this director's name? I can't. It's Colin can't, Trevorrow, right? No. Are we not doing uh, it again? It's uh, J. J. A. Bayona. That's yeah, it. There you go. Who the fuck he's is a, that? He's a horror guy. If I am really? correct. And every yeah. time I watch the trailer, I've watched it probably, I don't know, half a dozen to, to yeah, ten times. Yeah, he previously directed The Orphanage was one of his okay. bigger. He also Ooh. directed A Monster Calls. Oh, really? He did. A couple of episodes of... I don't know why I said that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> really? Squealed with delight. I know. It's okay. A couple episodes of the, uh, <laughs> of the TV series uh, Penny Dreadful. Ah! I know. <laughs> it sounded like a raptor. He also randomly... <laughs> <laughs> That's what he's going for. He also randomly directed the film uh, The Impossible. The uh, Oh, the Paul Walker? No, no. Uh, Ewan McGregor, Naomi Watts about the uh, <laughs> yeah. tsunami. Rest in peace, Paul. <laughs> well, there's another, there's another like hurricane movie. Where... <laughs> it's like, you know, there's wind and there's water. There's another hurricane movie with Paul Walker. We really I'm just saying, there's, there's a movie called Something. <laughs> With Paul Walker, in which she has to save like a baby by cranking a oh. life support machine while a hurricane happens. In oh, fabulous! <laughs> I'm gonna look it up. Hold on. Well, well, we should really we should invest in watching so, that someday. But at, at any rate, I think I think he was the right choice for what this film's gonna. Well, be. what what catches my attention more and more every time I watch the trailer is it's really got nothing to do visually with it. It's the the score. Hmm. It, it's got that crazy uh, string arrangement around the original score to it and it's it's got that horror vibe to it and and i've heard some stuff because I, I try to stay in touch with the jurassic park community you know i got a couple podcasts i check out now and then um my buddy brad jose runs a great jurassic park podcast um I'll do a, a quick plug there for him but uh, they've talked uh, in depth about how J.A. Bayona comes from a horror background, and so this is going to be a much darker film. And judging by what they've put out already, yeah, it definitely looks like it's going to be darker. But it's that score is like yeah. fascinating to me. I don't know what it is about it, but that's what always I mean, catches my the attention. String, the string thing is, I mean, that's been a thing. Yeah, it's over a thing. Time, but 
it's, we, we actually it, talked about one of the earliest films that brought in the string um, in sort of into the mainstream, which was There Will Be Blood with the uh, score from the, the Radiohead guy. Hmm. Do you remember who I'm talking about, Nick, or not? Was Oh, Johnny Greenwood? Yes. That's well, really where the string <laughs> yeah. score really what year was started that? in the mainstream. I can see that. 2008? Okay. Because yeah. the, the most notable that jumps to mind for me is is the Insidious films definitely utilize it big time. Like That's like the strength, I feel, in, mm-hmm. in the score of the Insidious films is that that crazy intense sort of string buildup that they that they use to build tension in those movies. But I don't know. It's yeah, like the the John Williams score has always traditionally been a string arrangement for that, but it's the way they do it with this one. It's something about it is just it's strikingly different and yeah, I don't know. It's, it's it's a lot less reliant on nostalgia. Like you hear the notes mm-hmm. and you can obviously place where it harkens right. from, but it's a much different arrangement. It, uh, something about it just jumps out considerably more yeah. than so. Than I r- so really quickly, yeah, go ahead, just want to say something really important, uh, <laughs> which is that that Paul Walker movie <laughs> is actually called Hours, so it has nothing uh, title-wise to do with the. Was Nicole Kidman in that one? No, uh, <laughs> but you can clearly see the poster is clearly a storm of the Bruin, and. <laughs> Was even that more kid needs to be saved. It looked like it was on par with the uh, Gerard Butler film from this year, Geostorm. No, I think it's a little better. Um, <laughs> and what's weird, like honestly, this is why I'm bringing this up now. Uh, what's weird is the guy who wrote and directed this also wrote Arrival. Oh. Yeah, like, I don't know. That's just a weird. So this guy's hooked up with Denis Villeneuve then? At some point, yeah. At some point. Like I looked at his past credits, and it was like. It was all writing credits besides this movie mm-hmm. that he directed, but it was like the remake of The Thing and Final Destination 5 and one of the, I think, the new uh, Jackie Earl Haley Nightmare on Elm Street oh. script. Uh, and then, bam, he just wrote Arrival, which is, uh, and I'm not saying like Arrival is one of the greatest scripts ever or anything like that, but that's a different uh, league. So it's got a speak. decent twist in it. Yeah. Speaking yeah. Anyway. of things and nightmares, yeah. you want to talk <laughs> Star Wars? Yeah, we probably should. Really quickly, uh, closing the loop on the Jurassic uh, Park trailer. Mm. I thought that was a fabulous trailer. Yeah. One of the better ones I've seen, simply because the idea of dinosaurs and a volcano is there because who fucking cares (laughs) Uh, at this point? And um, just everything about that trailer has me on board. I'll say this, though. If that's like... (laughs) 20 minutes of the movie and the rest of it, it is bad be. dialogue. That's fine. Um, then they did some false advertising because I'm expecting the entire film to be that. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I had heard that all of what happened in that trailer comes from like the first hour or so. So, yeah, that's a problem. We'll see, but yeah, as soon as I saw the trailer in the theater, I was, oh, fuck. Yeah. I, I, I dug into that popcorn before yeah. you saw Star Wars, right? <laughs> I did. Yeah. That's where there I you saw go. It. <laughs> So that's why Kenny's here and he's coughing like a you know, crazy so bird. That's okay. You, it's fine. Uh, but so we just did review uh, The Last Jedi on the last episode. And for the most part, we gave pretty positive reviews. Positive as far as like the median goes. Like mm-hmm. I should have brought that average down, but I, I even I thought it was pretty decent. I mean, you and Tucson both gave it a three out of five. Yeah. I gave it a four and a half out of five. Yeah. So it was a... It was a and Tucson's three out of five is really like a five out of five in a normal <laughs> situation. Well, I mean, Hi, Tucson, Tucson is like 
cool playing it, but he enjoyed it. He I did. know he did. He did. I remember him telling us right after the film ended that he enjoyed it. He so did. I know he gave it. He felt better about it than three out of five, yeah. probably. But for the most part, our whole episode was positive. Yeah. I mean, we there were some negatives here and there, yeah. as with all good movies, there are things to nitpick about it or dislike. But we did a first reaction episode. <laughs> and a day and a half to two days after... Because remember, we recorded our episode the night it came out. Yeah. So as far as the internet... Even though it's certainly a reactionary thing, wasn't quite as booming with all the hot takes that are circulating. Well, in terms of the number of them yeah. that are out there, uh, so just to refer to that for anybody who who doesn't live on the internet as the nerds on this podcast do, um, oh, the I'm internet. So had, jealous of you. Yeah. So jealous. The internet. Oh, don't had, have a kid. <laughs> the internet has had a very interesting take on the Last Jedi. Uh, and specifically, Star Wars fans, yes. in air quotes, have uh, pretty much disliked this film to the point where apparently there's a petition floating around to remove this oh. from the Star Wars canon. <laughs> there are two points of interest I want to bring up right now okay. before we bring up the reviews, which is that, yes, A, there is a petition floating right now to remove it. Well, there's three petitions. <laughs> Um, because they got to cover their basis. Of course. Uh, one is to remove Star Wars Episode Eight from the canon, which apparently, I guess they think of canon as like knighthood. Like they need the Disney president to actually uh, <laughs> lay down that sword upon their weary shoulders. You know, they're carrying the weight of the world there. Sure. Um, and declare it so. Uh, another petition is to remove Ryan Johnson's, like, I think name from like uh, something like that I don't know and there's a third petition that I don't know maybe to insert Jar Jar Binks into episode 8 I don't know you know know, here's the thing but there are three petitions currently I will say this before we talk about anything regarding Star Wars Looper was the ultimate fanboy boner film that people lost their shit about which I personally think is overrated yeah I I enjoy it but I actually think uh, I actually think me and Kenny may have watched that. Yeah, no, I I remember enjoying it. Everything was great except for Bruce Willis's weird nose. That's all I remember being <laughs> the weirded Joseph out. Joseph Gordon Levitt. Uh... Yeah, his recreation as Bruce Willis, which was a little bit weird. Yeah. But for all of the craziness that happened with people saying it was such a fantastic movie, which Ryan Johnson for the most part got all the credit for. Yeah, I thought it was overrated. Yeah, and now. Yeah. And here's the other thing. Uh, B, as far as what's happening since we watched this movie on opening day, mm-hmm. even the president of theatrical distribution for Disney has had to issue a statement. So I'm going to read a statement, Jesus and then Christ. we'll get into uh, what we're really here to talk about. But mm-hmm. uh, let's see. His name is uh, Dave Hollis, and he says, Ryan Johnson, the cast, and the Lucasfilm team have delivered an experience that is totally Star Wars, yet at the same time fresh, unexpected, and new. That makes this a Star Wars film like the audience have never seen. It's got people talking, puzzling over his mysteries. Okay, now he's just trolling. <laughs> and it's a lot to take in, and we see that all of the positive, that they should help set the film up for the great word of mouth and repeat viewing as we enter the lucrative holiday period, which basically says just buy our fucking tickets. <laughs> so anyway, which I love that. people are going to do, oh, so. Yeah. But I love Did that the. Did really have to mention the lucrative part? Yeah, That's I ballsy. know. That's ballsy. I, it is, but he knows. He knows. He knows. <laughs> but so anyway, even the. 
person we've never even heard of, uh, president of Disney Theatrical Distribution, had to somehow uh, well, make you a know comment. What? That's a bit which of I a, think it's hilarious. That's a bit of a. That's a bit of a. I'm going to make a statement, but in my statement, I'm going to drop my sack oh, no. on your face. I'm not saying anything <laughs> about his statement. I'm just saying the fact that we reached the point in which a yeah. statement had to be given. Really quickly, before yeah. we get to. Uh, Nick, you have prepared things for this, and I think Kenny does as well. And I know I've got I've got thoughts, yeah, uh, but I don't have as much prepared content as you. I will say this, and we discussed this on the Force Awakens episode, which we did again first reaction two years ago, and this was on the first reaction episode. Initial complaint of the first Force Awakens was that it's too (laughs) much like the original. (laughs) Yeah, it's too much like. It's too much like a new hope. Why are we doing this? And now we have this fucking fantastic film that kills off four main characters. I'll get to the fourth. Um, And I think that's really... The force? The (laughs) force? No, the fourth. No, I'm saying it's the force. The The force is the fourth. No, no. No, no. There's a... Okay, so... The force doesn't make any sense anymore. This film... (laughs) It's always been so crystal clear. This film does what people have always been asking for, and now the fans can't handle it. The fans can't handle it. Okay, so by the fourth one, I'll say this. I think this is why people really can't fucking handle it, because... People are pissed that they killed off Admiral Akbar, and I, <laughs> I love Admiral Akbar. It's a trap, but <laughs> I think that's really where this is all brewed from. Admiral Akbar <laughs> is just a meme. Like, <laughs> no matter really? what his contribution, it really is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Though. Like, he became popular. I want to say retroactively. It's not like that movie came out and people are like, "Did you guys pay attention to this Admiral Akbar character?" <laughs> it's a trap. I think, uh, let's just say, I think there's going to be more to his character later on. No, the guy who plays him is a guy who lives at Star Wars conventions charging people for his autograph. And he should, because people will pay for that. Okay. I don't know who wants to start, but I know both of you guys are right on top of this, even more than I am, about... How ridiculous it has been. The, well, why the, don't we say... No, the, the yeah. far down yeah. of people's ratings, of people who have said this is the worst film of all time. Yeah. I don't even like. I don't even know where to start or what to say other than I wish Star Wars fans would just fuck off. Like, seriously, what the fuck? What Tuc- do, how is this a discussion? Like, Tuc- when- Tucson tweeted something that said... Uh, the only thing that Star Wars fans hate more than Star Wars fans is Star Wars, which yeah, I yeah. think is pretty, amazing. Yeah, it's pretty accurate. Um, uh, listen, all right, I'm gonna. Do we remember the prequels? Do it seriously. Like, do we want to go back to the prequels? Well, there's a lot of positive talk about the prequels now that the last Jedi is Jar Jar apparently. Oh, pretty yeah, much, yep, they, I, they love him. No, I, I will say this, and I said this the moment we walked out of the theater when we. You said, oh, I forgot my keys. <laughs> oh, When yeah. me, you, Nick, Toussaint, and my wife, Emily, were standing outside the theater and people were buzzing right after The Last Jedi because the people who left the theater that we saw the film in were very happy about yeah. the experience they just uh, participated in. I said to you guys that this is a much different feel than when I walked out of the prequels, which I still think is true. Yeah. So 
the fact that anyone could say that any one of the prequel films is better than this is is boggling to me. Is that is that actually happening? Oh yeah, is that's that, definitely. There like, are a lot of people who are basically saying I, George Lucas should take the rights back. Honestly, which I that's not how rights work. I am I am true for for one like I've been confused and dumbfounded by things before in the past. This is a whole nother level of like, what the fuck? I this film should be celebrated. This is fantastic work. This fu- I, I walked out of the theater and I thought like, oh, this is going to like unequivocally be, like, there's no debating it. This is the best Star Wars film ever made. Like, oh, there's debating it. You, well, of course, it's going to be debate because <laughs> no, and this yeah. is something Alex and I have talked about like. Don't even get me going. Look, no, I love Star Wars, but the nostalgia. But it finally felt like something. The, the nostalgia was, it, it, that's tied to the original three, also the original two, really. The third one is actually yeah. usually, for the most part, poo pooed by most oh, people. Oh, it's the original three at this point. Yeah. As far as no, people conflating for, for me, their platonic ideal. This was the first film in the Star Wars realm that was up there with A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Oh, I agree in the sense that uh, the first two original and this one is the only Star Wars movie I've given a positive rating to. There you go. And that's a non-Star Wars fan. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying as far as I hear people think that the trilogy in and of itself is uh, unimpeachable. So, that's not what people felt before the prequels. Came no, out. no. I'm saying a lot of this happens retroactively. Mm-hmm. Like we get to a point in which people have to then start hanging on – to what they used to, in some ways, either besmirch People or... used to hate Ewoks. That is true. Yep. Okay. <laughs> let me uh, let me start really quick. Mm-hmm. I want to say that uh, I texted Alex. Uh, I, I'm, I told you, Alex, a story. I'm going to tell it on the podcast because <laughs> this is very important. I love it. I was taking a shit in Minnesota. <laughs> And um, I was reading the IMDb. That's going to be the opening quote of this episode, <laughs> by the way. I was reading the IMDb message, uh, not message boards. Those are no longer here. The IMDb user reviews. Could you imagine? Oh, I want to see that. <laughs> no, I was reading the uh, IMDb user reviews for Star Wars The Last Jedi because that's what you do when you're taking a shit. Like, there's no other reason to do such a thing. And as I started to read these... I just got well. A, I, I was laughing the whole time, which let me tell you, does not go well with taking a shit. And uh, second of all, uh, I said, you know what? This is in my head at least. I'm like, I, I think we need to address this. And specifically, at least from my end, I have sing, uh, singled out a few what I call one out of ten. So anybody that rated it higher, even if it was a bullshit review, in my opinion. And, and- if we're talking about the way we rate on this podcast, that would be a half Yeah, that would just be the, the worst thing you can give it. Mm-hmm. So I looked exclusively at 1 out of 10, and I skipped any review. Well, I skipped a lot of review. I'm not reading every review. But I didn't consider any review that in any way, even if I completely disagreed, actually got into the meat and potatoes of this movie as far as, like, I don't like how this movie was paced, and I thought, whatever. So I, anything that could sound somewhat legitimate. Yes. Like, that's totally fine. So if if anybody is listening to this and they consider themselves a Star Wars fan and they didn't like like The Last Jedi, we are not attacking that perspective. No, no. We are simply attacking the outcry of people who somehow believe that the world should cater to them. Right. <laughs> 
And uh, if you don't mind. You're going to read these verbatim, aren't you? I am. But <laughs> don't worry. I'm only going to read like two or three of them. My, go but, before you start, yeah. my favorite one was the one I texted to you, Alex. The one, one, is, the one from Rotten Tomatoes. It just said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Okay. No, I've, I've got, oh, for, first of all, yeah, yeah. It, you guys can talk amongst yourselves. Because I've got the other one that Kenny said to me that I wanted to read verbatim. Because I was... Um, let me find it here really quickly. I'm sorry that I'm ruining this. No, no, no. This. I'm going to read my three favorite headline. Rev- oh, you got it? I, I've got it right here. Okay. This, this to me was pretty much the most ridiculous thing I've ever read yeah. in terms of film review for a series yeah. like this. Truly let down by the fact that this installment of the trilogy completely ruined the perfect canvas set by J.J. Abrams. (laughs) Disney is ruining Star Wars for the true fans by not appealing to adult themes and more intricate plot lines. So they want some, like, P&V penetration. I guess. (laughs) That's what I got from that. First of all... Or p and A. I I mean, we don't have to... Everyone bitched about J.J. Abrams, and now all of a sudden, he's the fucking godfather. Yeah. And all the adult well, we themes... We saw what happened to the godfather. All the adult themes in the Jar Jar world. Yeah. Oh, Massa. And all of the adult themes in the Star Wars that couldn't show blood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they literally play chess in this movie on their downtime, okay? <laughs> In this franchise, this is not as dire as sometimes yeah. we like to think of it. Is no, we've got we've got to <laughs> shy away when someone pierces someone else's skin. Yeah, no, yeah. but we need the adult themes. Get the fuck out of here. I guess the adult themes would be incest, Ooh, but that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read a couple headlines. Uh, these are reviews in which I don't think the reviews themselves are that great, but. <laughs> Uh, these are some amazing headlines, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, of headlines of user reviews on IMDb. All one out of ten, I should mention. Okay, here we go. Uh, this one is actually a five out of ten, but I really like the headline. Okay, it's simply one sentence, which is a question, and I think it's a question with, uh, worth probing, which is, who the fuck is Ryan Johnson? <laughs> Okay. Uh, the next one. He just wants to know. Yeah. He. I. And I really hope someone. And I uh, say it's a he because also, you know it's all dudes. Who I just want reviews. you to know that forty-five out of eighty-two people found that review helpful. Okay. Here we go. Uh, the next one. Oh, this is actually my personal favorite. Oh. Uh, yeah. This is. Um. I actually got choked up when I first read this. I'm just reading the head. Uh. The the headline. Here we go. Um. I wish I had died on my way into the theater. <laughs> And I wish Ryan Johnson died before starting this mess. So, yeah. Uh, 39 out of 74 people found his review helpful. And my last one, when it comes to headlines, that I just really... This one I'm more just kind of curious about. Like I, I want to know more. I don't think the review really tackled uh, the mystery here, just like J.J. Abrams. Um, his headline is... Or her, because actually the username is Aaron. But uh, oh. <laughs> uh, it's the last Jedi was so bad it made my sister cry. <laughs> and I, I just want to say how that just really tears me up. So now I'm going to read uh, a review, mm-hmm. and we can uh, talk about this. Let me just go to it here. Okay. Oh, I have to read one more awful review before I get to a real review. Okay. Uh, this is a three out of ten. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to read headline and review. Cause okay. I think this is great. Okay. Headline, IMDb, please find your integrity or risk losing your customer base. (laughs) Dear IMDb, years ago we trusted you. We believed in you. We needed you. 
This movie is a great example of how, somewhere along the lines, IMDb either sold out to corporate America's pre-release rating hype train, or there is some other fundamental problem plaguing our great community. The movie should never have been over a five or a six. (laughs) Just look at the critics' reviews, then look at the user reviews. Either the critics are out of touch with the rest of the world, parentheses, then why do they have a job, or they are getting paid for positive reviews. Either way... It's disgusting. Something needs to change. That's probably one of the best reviews I've read on IMDb of the movie because it really got to the heart of what was wrong with the movie. No one should be paying Richard Roper for his positive or negative reviews, but he gave this a 10 out of 10. (laughs) Well, guess what? Whatever his 10 out of 10 review was, it's better than that 3 out of 10 (laughs) review. Okay. Now, let's read... Probably my favorite one is the one where this person just asks a lot of questions, with my favorite question being question number two. So mm-hmm. I'm going to read this one verbatim, and then we can discuss it, so to speak. Let's do it. All right. So, of course, one out of ten. And the headline is, Worst Star Wars Movie Ever, with three exclamation points. Here we go. This movie is a complete failure. Not just as a Star Wars movie, but as a movie it fails. I will just list what I thought while watching the movie to describe my reasons for giving this movie a bad mark. Number one, right in the beginning, the First Order strikes with an entire fleet, but somehow uses a single Dreadnought-class ship, while multiple Star Destroyers simply watch right behind it while it gets destroyed for some unknown reason. (laughs) Number two, and this, I'm actually, I really want to know the answer to this, too. This really needs to be uh, looked after. I I don't know, maybe Dateline or 2020 can get to the bottom (laughs) of this, but number two. The woman in the bomber, which destroyed the Dreadnought ship. How did she even catch that detonator? <laughs> that, honestly, I'm taking a break from the review really quick. <sighs> Man, I'm right there with you, buddy, because we in no way get an answer to that. We don't see her hand reach out and grab it in any way. And I'm, I'm oh, God. Okay, hopefully episode nine answers that. <laughs> Number three, during the chase of the Rebel fleet, how come First Order cannot send a few ships or just one Star Destroyer at light speed to cut off Rebels right in front of them? I mean, the chase goes on, like, for so long. Finn goes to another planet. If there's a reason, explain it. If not, then you are taking us for fools. Now, this part (laughs) is written in all caps. This makes entire movie ridiculous! (laughs) And that's exactly grammatically how it's written. Ridiculous. (laughs) Number four... If entire fleets could be destroyed with the light-speed kamikaze of cruiser-class battleships, why build giant star destroyers? And if I remembered right, in Star Wars universe uses hyperspace travel, not just light-speed. Number five. Luke Skywalker, who did not even kill Darth Vader when he could do it by defying every kind of temptation, decides to kill Ben Solo in his sleep. When did he... As a Jedi Master becomes so corrupt to have oh, such thoughts. This is great. I'm almost done. Uh-huh. Number six. <laughs> Leia just flew in space. Mm-hmm. Yes, by using force and zero gravity, you can push yourself to opposite direction. But to fly like that, while also using force to keep yourself alive, one needs such a degree of mastery in the force. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. I won't say anymore. <laughs> Number seven. I watched some random adventure of Finn and a random drama girl with space horses for, like, how long? God knows. And they do not just fail. They also get most of the fleet killed because their codebreaker betrays them. Number eight. Next time Yoda should direct that lightning to Kylo Ren. (laughs) Finally, number nine. 
battery ram started firing and the reinforced gate started to melt, but somehow Finn's junk ship did not melt right in the middle of that beam. Good job. This guy's and I want to say... This guy's got to be doing a bit. Six out of seven people found that helpful. It, it's got to be a bit. <laughs> you would think so. I think so. Uh, yeah. But I don't think so, actually. Really? I No, I think that that's perfectly in line with... Uh, uh, with all the spelling mistakes, which I actually, I kind of cleaned that up for the listeners. Oh, okay. That wasn't quite as smooth. Well, as you didn't want to bring yourself down to that level. No, I didn't. Serious question. Do you yeah. guys think if internet culture existed when the original three movies came out, what do you think, where do you think those movies would fall in, in sort of this? I mean, we are talking, the original three movies did create the stormtrooper which might i remind you can be controlled by repeating something you want it to think when First you talk all, to it they can't shoot the fucking broadside of a barn was any of this shit ever pointed out when those movies yeah. came out or let, let me say this well here's the thing back then it was funny like back then yeah. it was like oh stormtroopers can't shoot isn't that cute first of all let, let's 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 wind the clock back Two and a half years. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, I'm about like, there. what are we thinking here? I'm like about 23 and a half. <laughs> Have we Pre- met yet? Pre-pubescent. Yes. Can we still Pre- be doing this episode? <laughs> okay. Yes. Pre- actually, we could. Oh, that's true. You so, have no so pubes yet. 20, let, let's, let's wind the clock back. Oh, he's got to look. Actually, has to look. Two and a half years ago. It still did not come in. <laughs> and... <laughs> Do you remember the shitstorm when people were complaining about uh, there being a black stormtrooper? Yeah, hmm? I do. I was one of them. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I was not one of them. But no, I definitely, yeah, that was a... That was a thing. Which is hilarious because, okay, let's just hmm? take this really quick. Hmm? And I'm going to bring this into its inevitable but awful direction. Okay, so the people that would complain about something like that... that Are the same people who wrote those reviews. Well, I agree with that. But also, if you're so upset about seeing a black person as a stormtrooper, wouldn't your worldview, uh, your Aryan worldview, probably say that a stormtrooper would be one of the only things a black person could be in the galaxy? Like that's at that point. Their that's pre- all we had seen was the trailer. Their preconceived notion is that they were white. Yeah, that's true. Because you know, white. Suits. And their preconceived notion is that the only black person in this universe is Lando Calrissian. That you know, and that's so true too. Because when you look at Darth Vader, all I can think of is there's a black guy underneath <laughs> that suit because it's, it's a black suit. But, oh be, wait, he had to be white because yeah. he's a man of power. Oh wait, yeah. no. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay, so so let me jump in real quick yeah. and just say this, please. Um. And and this has more to do with the general feel than Yay. the specific reviews you read. That's fine. Um, my favorite part of this film has been, for the most part, the biggest destroyed part of this film. And you know what? Fuck those people. Because... Which part are you talking about? I'm talking about the two best scenes of this film, which, for the most part, happen a little bit past the middle. I think it's probably, what? What do you think, Nick? Like an hour and 30 in when Please this scene happens? The Hondo, Around that. The Hondo scene, when she flies... Uh, when she fucking goes light speed. Are you talking about whole, uh, yeah, you're yeah, talking about Lord Dern. Sorry, that, yeah, hold, that, hold that, that, that whole scene happened, the whole thing I'm talking about happens within, I think, probably about 15 to 20 minutes of each other, which is, uh, there's multiple scenes involved in it, but it is when 
Uh, Kylo Ren kills Supreme Leader Snoke with the lightsaber. Okay. Uh, they have the duel between uh, Kylo Ren and Rey mm-hmm. and the um, awesome guards yeah. uh, wearing the red right. red suits. Incredible. Yeah, that's yeah. a fantastic scene. And the scene where she drives the um, she drives the ship into light speed right. to destroy the other ship. Yep. Um, that has been that whole grouping has been for the most part the biggest problem I've seen, other than maybe that Luke gets killed in the end, which is we'll get to that probably at some point. There's, I would say, a holy trinity, which is the two I'm mentioning: Snoke. Luke and the fact that Ray doesn't have like extremely important parents. All which, um, because... I'm I'm sorry, but Disney wants to make more than three films. Yeah, yeah. But even so... if they want to or don't well, want to, like the first movie did not promise. Just because a character says something does not mean the universe caters to the character itself. So I don't. The killing of Snoke, though, was probably the best decision this film made. I agree. And people saying it's the worst is blasphemy to me. I never gave a shit about him in the first place. I don't yeah. know if I'm the only one. Yeah. But I, no, you pretty, he no. didn't have a fucking backstory. <laughs> You're not he one was, of the only one, but let me tell you, apparently it's not there e- was a league of fans it's not even, that are saying that uh, just from The Force Awakens alone, that uh, Supreme Leader Snoke was one of the most interesting villains so he, that we, are, we were deprived I'll of say getting this. to know. I'll say this. He is shown as the most powerful person with the Force that we've seen yet. Which even the Emperor. which make, It doesn't. Which is what makes killing him even a better decision because now you've empowered your main... Uh, evil character yeah. Kylo Ren to now be the actual supreme leader in the final film of the yeah. trilogy, and also too you have a great moment in your second film. Yeah, so he, fuck you, internet. This is the thing that's happening, and you can uh, F nine or whatever the hell you do with this quote shit. Uh, this <laughs> the Last Jedi is basically the moment in which a generation of white males who previously thought that they were Luke Skywalker's of the world had to find out that they were actually the Kylo Ren's of the world, and they're upset about that because they didn't realize that the world is in no way going to service what they uh, think because it, it's just fucking stupid. And guess what? Luke Skywalker can. Uh, debate killing a person for a nanosecond because and I said this to Alex and this is someone myself who doesn't give a fuck about Star Wars <laughs> but every movie has said that the force is a goddamn spectrum if you're on the spectrum it means you can go either way and so can Luke so the idea that he could well, somehow and he also be drawn didn't, didn't kill I was him. gonna say he didn't even do the fucking well, deed right right there my my big problem is and you mentioned this earlier Nick that I'm not pissed at people for disliking the movie. Right. If you want to dislike the movie, fine. But c- come with some facts right. and, and some stuff to actually be upset about. My problem is wh- every t- every time I've actually skimmed through and found a decent review worth reading, yeah. because it's not just nonsense, pissing and moaning, when there are reasons given, it's always something that has happened in Star Wars yes. before, and most of the time, in your beloved fucking original trilogy. Agreed. The like, Snoke thing yeah. is the exact, rep- not exact, but almost a verbatim representation of how Darth Vader killed uh, the Emperor. 
Mm-hmm. Well, we didn't Luke know that much Skywalker about the Emperor. Skywalker himself was tempted to kill his father because he was trying to be lured to the dark yeah. side in the first place. Like, he fucked his <laughs> sister. That's how tempted he was by sin yeah. that he decided well, that nothing would get in the way of his dick. I just... I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. she looked pretty good in that third film. I'm not saying right. she didn't. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't understand where he was coming from. In his from. defense, he didn't know until... The second film, right? Yeah, it's called yeah, Plausible but... Deniability. <laughs> but, I mean, you could see what Jabba was saying in that third one, right? I mean, she looked pretty good in that outfit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. That was before Carrie Fisher got into the drugs, though, so. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's just a lot here. And I, I, I just can't think of anything that any crazy person has against this movie to me it's the it's the problem that the biggest problems i've seen are what i believe to be the best parts of the film i and and, oh and i said this to you alex earlier Mm. which is i i'm looking at the wide array of complaints from what i would call horrible diehard Star Wars fan, which is not to say all Star Wars fans are horrible, but the you subsection... Know the, you know all these people have seen the film since they read the Rue, right? Oh, of course. Yeah, sure. And so, but Maybe I'm, multiple I'm, times. Of course. Mm-hmm. But I'm looking at this subsection of people, and my biggest takeaway from this, and I ask you this question, and it's not a rhetorical question. I'm curious. Is, do they not want conflict in a Star Wars film. They don't know what they want. In a plot-driven way, in a character-conflicted way. Like, the idea that somehow every single person should be the exact archetype that they arrived on screen. This is... this is, Or is this not valuable at all? This is going to sound... Um, this is going to sound bad because Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park committed suicide earlier this year. So it's going to sound bad. But when really I, curious where you're going. Thank you. So after Hybrid Theory came out, we just out, wanted to mention that. That's fine. After Hybrid Theory, the original Lincoln Park album came out. Everybody wanted, just like everybody always wants, with somebody who creates some interesting yeah. album that's a big. They want hit. the same thing. They over. want the same thing, only different. Right. Which, but Lincoln in the Park's... end, it doesn't even matter. Ah! Oh, oh my god. Yes. I didn't even mean to do that. No, sure. (laughs) But Meteora was pretty much, for the most part, that. And people ate that shit up. And welcome to how you fucking create things that you want the mainstream to like. Because nobody's ever going to fucking like anything that's even remotely different than what they want spoon-fed to them. I agree. And i got to say it's ironic that you bring that parallel up because the scene in which uh, Luke Skywalker, when he's using the Force and he's just mumbling him to himself, you know, I become so numb. uh, (laughs) It's just, that's when the, it really drove it home for me. Ryan Johnson knew what he was doing. Exactly. (laughs) I I think... um, I think this conversation is is part of a, a bigger cultural conversation to be honest where it's not certain fingers can be pointed at star wars fans for for their negativity it's not star wars fans no 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 no. and that's what i'm getting to is it's this is something that um i kind of touched on this a little bit ago it's internet as a whole social media um when when given this platform to really voice your opinion the negativity used to always be there it just wasn't it, it wasn't as loud because not every motherfucker had 
yeah. a platform to get on and, and spout their nonsense. Now, my problem with this, and, and we've seen this with Disney already with the Star Wars franchise, Force Awakens came out, and one of the resounding positive takeaways from that movie for them originally was the comedy. There was, there was good comedy. There was good humor in The which Force Awakens. Which is more here. Right. Well, what I'm saying, though, is let's, let's fast forward from Force Awakens to Rogue One. And all of a sudden, all these reshoots are happening, and and there was a lot of speculation about, oh, this is this is too dark. We need more of the humor injected into it that was successful in Force Awakens. I, my problem is, I think Disney is taking too much influence from this quote unquote backlash on the they're internet. They're going to with the third one, by the way. I know they're going to, and that's a problem. And and this isn't something. This is something that runs much deeper. But at this point, what could they even do? There, I told you, there's going to be a 20-minute Supreme Leader Snoke origin part. Of the I'm just film. saying, what could they... But, like, even if that's in there, it's not like this... It's not to, going to appease anybody, because yeah. they're still going to hate the right, second yeah, film. Yeah. And this this happens with everything now. Yeah. It's not just Star Wars. It's everything, and it's sad, and it's disgusting. And it's, quite frankly, for, for the future of humanity and society as a whole, it's it's disturbing. Well, like, specifically with these franchises that are so huge now, especially Disney, you know, they own everything. Yeah, I mean, if yeah. you look at... Okay, if you look at this podcast, for example, as a microcosm, I'm... I, probably the most negative person on this podcast in, in a general well, sense. Well, Toussaint doesn't really give his opinion that often. So. True. But, no, but in a general sense, I tend to come out swinging for certain tent poles yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. But every time I think I've done that, uh, I don't I, I would never you conceive it in a I, well. Even if I didn't, I would never conceive of a world in which then I would follow that up with. So Disney, please fucking remove this from the canon. Like I don't understand how anybody thinks that art can exist in a in a vacuum in which only you can perceive it, and only you are the one to be appeased. And the idea that there is a subset of quote unquote true fans is the antithesis of any fandom that currently exists because the whole point is that you should just like what you get and I don't mean in a blind loyal way but you take each piece of media and and, and the idea that anybody thinks that these movies which are sequels uh, if we ignore the prequels for a second but are sequels to movies made over 40 years ago by different companies by different filmmakers are going to somehow be your fucking childhood memories that's insane that is literally uh, delusional and i think people should seek psychiatric different, help different filmmakers different studio I, different era yeah different did people really think reasons? luke was going to be a main character yeah. I don't know. I don't mean screen time. So, but do people really think that these three characters of uh, Finn, Ray, and Poe were introduced in the last movie and were somehow going to take a back seat in this movie so that Luke and Leia could team up, fuck, and save the day? Well, so here's, here's the thing: if they, oh, no, if they were never brought into these sequels, this this sequel trilogy, people would have lost their fucking minds. Exactly. Yeah. And, and and here's the thing. There's going to be another trilogy. And guess yeah. what? Guess what? It's headed up by Ryan Johnson. So good luck with that, people. So but... so here here we go. So two things I wanted yeah. to mention. And I'll get to the second one because this is where the final part of our discussion has to be. Uh, but the first part, um, I will say that th- this series has to decide what it wants to be. This is either this going to be... Current iteration? 
No, 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 this this long view I'm talking here. This Star Wars realm, which is probably going to go on for a very long time, yeah. uh, has to decide what it's going to be. Well, first of all, it happened in a galaxy far, far away. A Thank long, you. A long time ago. Thank so you for it's already been written. Oh, yeah. Thank you for cleaning uh, that up. No Nick. problem. Thanks, buddy. Um, so just... I hope the next crawl starts with Luke Skywalker had died. <laughs> just to Not remind... vanished. Died. Yeah, just to remind people. So... They have to decide if they want to relate every single one of these to the Skywalker family, or if they want every single trilogy or film they make to be its own thing. And I think they've planted their flag that they would like to do the thing that would re- that would create less um, hatred, which is just have it be its own thing. Yeah. Which is which. Uh, apparently it sucks to do, although I think this is a fantastic film. I don't film. know if it's created less hatred. <laughs> no, I'm saying, but in, yeah. in the long term, it probably will. Yeah. Because... Because people will die eventually. I was going to say, and, these and, and, dipshits and, and, aren't going to be around forever. And they're, <laughs> No, I'm talking about characters. I think, oh, I meant the fans. Yeah, oh, I, was, that, I was talking also about Also, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think character-wise, I think they're going to do a swift clean-out mm-hmm. at the end of the third film. Yeah. Because Kylo Ren, I'm guessing, won't be there. Ray's not going to be there, nope. and nope. all the other people, they might leave, like, one minor character to, like, sprinkle into the next one, but it's going to be, like, a James Bond reboot for the next series. God bless them. I love what they did with this we'll film. See. I think they're the going to have to, because, yeah. you know, know what? We can't live on forever with this fucking Luke Skywalker thing, right. because that shit's, that yeah. shit's done. Yeah. We've seen the ending hey. to that story. And I'm looking forward to the future without all these motherfuckers. You know what? <laughs> I, look. I love these characters as much as the next person. Mm-hmm. But you know what I love even more than them? Is the prospect Your of son. future fucking Star Wars films. And nothing has excited me more. I, I, I get it. I'm probably an outlier with this. But I've always loved the ancillary stuff in the Star Wars universes. I've loved when they go to these different worlds. and all the these casino things. scene that other people have been bitching about, oh, which I thought Jesus. was fantastic. I'll I, bitch about it. You know, that's fine. That's you're talking about that the, the canto bite with the... I Look... The, 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 I guess the, I won't bitch about it. The, the CGI character who's yeah. played by um, who's played by Mark Hamill, who feeds <laughs> really the, yes, really? who feeds coins into BBA and then How he shoots he them out. How was he played by Mark uh, Hamill? What did he, he have to do? He put on the uh, he put on the um, the dots. That's amazing. Oh, that's the okay. Now we're in a weird world in which. <laughs> That is the best Mark Hamill performance in a Star Wars. Mark Hamill's film. not a good actor. <laughs> no. no, his best role has been doing a voice for the Joker in it the animated actually. Batman series. Yeah. I agree. Benicio del Toro, by the way, is the most real person in the Star Wars universe. By the way, because he's just there for money. True. <laughs> Literally, just actor and character. Too bad he had that bad stutter. So I watched I... the film a second time, mm-hmm. and I'm confused by the stutter because does he have a stutter? He had, had a stutter for one line, though. That's I what thought I'm... it was like four or five. I honestly only okay. catch it at that moment. I've only seen it once. No, so... no. What I'm saying is I'm just even more perplexed because I swear I only hear it in the moment in which they That's find that possible. He... I saw somebody bitching that Ray had like 30 accents. So I... <laughs> she always has had an yeah. English accent. In which she's no, English. no. This person claimed there was 30 of them. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I feel like if you speak to uh, somebody who deals with phonetics, they would tell you that that's wrong. Uh, I don't know that she has 30. I mean, 
in both films, she's had a somewhat English accent, and she's yeah. an English actress. I mean, so... I will admit, it was a little weird when she woke up Luke by saying, Good night, mate! <laughs> um, but they right. they moved past it. So, I, I know that, that we actually have a film to talk about here, and not <laughs> just Star Wars whack-off fest. But, uh, the last thing we're going to talk about uh, to end this segment is the idea of Luke Skywalker being killed off at the end of this film. Yeah, good evidence. Um, yeah. So, first things first, um, he ends the whole confrontation with Kylo Ren by saying, see around, kid, which means he's going to be in other films. Oh, yeah, he'll be a Force ghost. Sure. Just like we've seen Yoda multiple times. Uh, We've seen Obi-Wan Kenobi multiple Mm -hmm. times. Probably we'll see him again. I'm sure. Um, And you know what? He just wanted to be dead. Yeah. So... What's the fucking problem here? He I don't... basically, after torturing... I, I don't understand this is script writing 101, and I'm saying the Star Wars scripts are not that great, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, the whole idea was that his backstory, as far as what we miss from uh, that trilogy to this one, is that he spent the entire 30-off years torturing himself mm-hmm. because he made this one mistake, so he decided that because he, he wants to die, which he literally says in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. that he could at least try to, uh, you know, not necessarily fix his mistake, but uh, what, what I find interesting is give his character, uh, not his character, um, Kylo Ren's character, a cathartic moment of what he's actually trying to impart on right. him as a Jedi Master, mm-hmm. which is that this will not actually make you feel better. But now you're going to have the ghost of me with you for the rest yeah. of your fucking day. And I don't understand how any other... This is the only way it probably could yeah. have ended. What was yeah. he going to do? <laughs> did people really want him to show up with a lightsaber and fight? Look. Uh, of course well, they did, but you know what? Those are the same people. And you even somewhat people. get that scene. Yeah. I mean, there's... And if you want to have a legitimate beef with the entire trilogy in the first two films, there has not been a legit lightsaber duel yet. You're going to get it in the third film, yeah. so hold off on blowing your fucking It would be crazy if you didn't get it. <laughs> You're going to. That'd be hilarious. Uh, long Welcome sto- to the real world. Long story short, I think I think this film will age very well. Yeah. I, I I really do. Just I like think... Force Awakens has now, because well, yeah, this came well, along and legitimized when, that. When Force Awakens came out, it felt like the end of the world for Star Wars, as far as Disney taking it over and trying to move forward with it. It felt like literally the apocalypse was happening, and now that's just that's in the rearview mirror. It's an afterthought, and I think once this isn't the flavor of the month to bitch about. People are going to move on, and and time will be much better to this film. I, it it blows my mind. This to me is the smartest, most well thought out, best Star Wars film ever created. I I love everything that they did as far as the execution. I love the the story, uh, the the ideals going forward as far as the whole putting things to rest and moving on and, and killing the past. And, and you, I made the Admiral Akbar comment earlier, but you killed off three for the most part major characters. You in did. This. A lot of people, a lot of fucking people died in this movie. Yeah. Like, which people bitch about all the time in the superhero films that there is no stakes. Yeah. And they had it right here for there you. Was, and it's like, what are they this doing? This movie had fucking everything people complained yeah. about with not only Star Wars, but other shit. Hmm? It was all here. Mm-hmm. 
What the fuck more? What do, what do we what do we do? Yeah, for people a fucking love... ship going into light speed to destroy another ship, which but... I didn't even fucking ever think of. I never like, thought about on. it. For yeah. people who loved the Force Awakens and somehow, which is uh, I, I, I will say, Force Awakens is actually a very good film as yeah, well. Yeah. Yes, but... but I'm saying for people who love that movie and mm-hmm. somehow think that this movie is the abomination that they say it is, particularly pertaining to Luke. How are they okay with Han just letting himself die, but not okay with Luke basically actually trying to do something for the Resistance? Like, I'm getting nerdy. Like, that's how fucking ridiculous this backlash is, is that not only am I defending these goddamn movies, but I'm also, like, getting into the particulars of how this fucking plot works, and I just don't understand I was just pissed because the lack of Maz Kanata. That's all I was really upset about. Dude, I hate to tell you, but... She was there. I don't think it's going to work out. Union dispute. That's fine. Caught up in a union dispute. Hey, man. And we talked about this. Captain Vasma. they just decided that there's nothing to do with that character. So we're just going to kill her off. I actually cared less about Phasma than I did Snow. People were pissed. Of course people were pissed. After Force Awakens. No, no. After Force Awakens. People were pissed that that Luke sucked on a teat. So you know what? (laughs) I was going to say, hey, Blue Milk, man. Come on. So it was blue milk. The, I swear yeah. the first time I looked, it looked greenish, but no, I guess blue maybe milk. that's just... Yeah. But it looks greenish. That's fine. I feel like the props department really Who dropped, gives a shit? dropped the ball. You know what? One. Disney's probably been like, you know what? It's kind of blue greenish. Make it green. You know why? Because that's what we're going to do after this movie's released, because green is like money. <laughs> yeah, bitch. But, I mean, that's, for the most that's exactly part... exactly what they said. They had, Disney had nothing Hold to on, do I with... I have the recording. Disney had nothing to do with Captain Vesma, so they're like, we're just going to eradicate her from this entire story. <laughs> She's going to be demoted to a Walt Disney theme park uh, stit, uh, walk-around person. She is already. Like she, she already no, I'm just saying, like, been, yeah. she won't be allowed on the rides, but she'll be the like a Gaston just kind of walking Already? Around. Yep, yep. I no, I, Gaston's I, no I'm saying, like, but, like, it, it'll just never get better hey, for Captain Vesma. you know Vesma. what? For all the shit that Disney gets, and some of it is very much deserved, um... <laughs> Deciding to destroy Kylo Ren's helmet, big mistake for toy sales. Yeah. Not going to sell a lot of toys with that emo face. <gasps> Adam Driver. <laughs> Maybe they can, like, hybrid it and, like, put on the box. Can like, you... it's a Kylo Ren doll, but See, if you take the cloak off, it's also a girl season five Adam's character <laughs> doll. So that way they can kind of cater to a lot of different The people parties. bitching about his shirtless scene is what the internet should usually be bitching about. Why are they... I don't know. Is there anything that happened in this? Are people not allowed to have nipples in Star Wars? (laughs) That's what I want to know. But that's what you usually would get, is people being like, why does he have shirtless scene? Why did they kill Luke? I can't believe them. Are they complaining because they wish the women had shirtless scenes, too? Oh, God. It seems like that's where that kind of anger would come from. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted by this. I it's just it. It's it, not it, it, get have better. Fucking fun, people. Just have fun. It, it really should. It, this just is, use your brain. This is for me too much. That's asking too much. <laughs> this is for me by far the most fun Star Wars film that's ever been made. Yeah, I, and and this is for me had. the most mediocre Star Wars film that's ever been made. <laughs> no, and you know what? I'm okay with that. And I'll defend it because, goddamn, people are just really... This is exactly what Star Wars is. And let me tell you, I say that as an outsider, but whatever. Yeah. Well, Kenny, thank you very much for taking the time to, to join us and, and chat about ruining my stuff. night. No, Jeez. I mean... <laughs> You're welcome, <laughs> you piece of shit. No, I mean, it, it's just... Um, 
you know, we took yep. took an hour and a half last week to talk about Star Wars, and might as well take an hour this week. So oh, yeah. there you go. So thanks again, Kenny. And um, moving on now to the battle in Cell Block ninety nine, which is uh, brawl. That's what I said, right? You did said I say battle. battle? Did. That sounds like a Japanese samurai film. I'd be down to watch that. I would be actually. Yeah, yeah I'm with you. So, Brawl in Cell Block 99 is the film we're talking about today. Uh, the film was directed by S. Craig Zoller. Uh, is that how you say his name? Craig S. Zoller. Did I say Greg? No, you said S. Craig, Craig. Zoller as if they were switched. That's what his name on IMDb says. So, Oh. I mean, I'm just reading for what it says. No, so. you are. Never mind. I swear to God, I've seen it written other way, like Craig S. first. That's fine. Interesting. Mm-hmm. No, but that's actually the right way. So never mind. That's fine. So the <laughs> film he did previously uh, was 2015's Bone Tomahawk with uh, Kurt Russell and Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Um, but this film uh, came out this year, and you said it premiered at some festival. Venice. Venice Film Festival? Okay. Yep. So this film centers around Vince Vaughn uh, starring as Bradley Thomas and his wife in the film, played by Jennifer Carpenter, uh, who most people would probably know from Dexter. Yeah. Um, and she also was the main character in the film Quarantine. Really? And, yes. <laughs> Did you see that or not? No. I actually think you would enjoy it. I think I would. Not because it's great, but I think it's yeah, up your alley. Now it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and the film centers around a former boxer, although that's not really said early in the film, but it's kind of implied throughout. He said that he was in the ring when yeah, he was younger. But it's not like But a, the idea that, that that's somehow a, a, a major plot point is, is kind of silly. Uh, turned drug runner lands in a prison battleground after a deal gets so again the film uh stars vince vaughn jennifer carpenter and also features throughout uh don johnson as well as ito kiar who plays the placid man that's quite (laughs) a uh, character description so nick uh watched this film earlier on this year and he very much enjoyed this uh and this was my first viewing of the film so, do you want me to start, or do you want to go first? Do you want to start? I could. Do it. Um, I don't think I enjoyed this as much as Nick did, but I thought this was a very uh, interesting film. Um, I'm, for the most part, a fan of Vince Vaughn when he's not doing his usual comedy routine. Yeah. And I think his comedy routine has a time and place, but it yeah. got old very quickly, as we talked about with Kenny. Um, Wedding Crashers was awesome, but then some of his later work has been total shit. Um, But as an actor, sometimes he has a time and place, and when he's given a role that's got a a place, um, he could be good. And I think he is here, and I think this film overall is actually pretty damn good. Um, This starts out pretty slow, and... You need to give the first 30 to 40 minutes a chance to get going because it's, for the most part, a pretty standard film. Uh, and I would say that in kind of a, a bad way yeah. because I think it starts off 
very slow and also doesn't really give the audience much to get into early on if you're going into this without having any preconceived notions about it. But once you get where this film is going, I think it's at least intriguing. And um, yeah, I just overall first thoughts, I don't think this is necessarily my favorite film of the year in any way, shape or form, but I would rewatch this, which Nick, you've said over time is a hallmark of a film that people enjoy because, or at least you enjoy because that's the trademark of something that is worthy of a solid rating. Because if you want to watch it again, at least it did something for you as a film viewer. And I feel that way for me in this film because this gives an intriguing plot and also an intriguing character development with Vince Vaughn and the story as a whole. Because we have this weird story uh, revolving around his character and the whole idea of him being a drug dealer and him starting off is just a very normal person with a the whole thing about him being a boxer is kind of brought up late in the film so I think that's yeah, kind of a silly storyline thoughts about that okay but yeah but the whole idea of him being a pretty normal guy and having a normal relationship like the idea of him just struggling with his wife uh, them having a miscarriage is a pretty common storyline and, and a, just a thing that happens in real life and the idea that their marriage is suffering mostly because of a miscarriage, probably because that's a real thing in yeah. real life that, yeah. that it's hard for couples to move on with a child dying, no matter when it is. Yeah. Um, but they were just normal people trying to live a normal life. Even if they were struggling, they lived in a very moderate house, um, had moderate expectations. And then he, for the most part, went on to become a drug dealer. We see him living a better life. We see them having a baby, perhaps, that's prospering as she's five months pregnant or so. Uh, he says there's 98 days left. So, yeah, it's five, so, yeah. six, yeah. somewhere in there. Um, but then when things go to shit, uh, they really go to shit. Dude. And, yeah, it... You have said to me before we even viewed this film, you for the second time, you for the first time, that that this is a statement really about how things go, especially when things go bad. You know, sometimes they go completely off the rails, which they do for Vince Vaughn here. <laughs> um, and, and this is a very interesting story for me because as soon as he went to prison it's really when this film started showing what it really had in terms of capabilities. So that's a broad view of what my initial thoughts were, yeah. but but I thought this was a pretty strong film. So yeah. go ahead, Nick. I'm a huge fan of this movie. Mm -hmm. I It's it's right on my alley um, because everything about it that speaks to me is that I love the fact that somebody actually made a uh, – exploitation film that harkens back to the days of the 70s especially in which they would take some kind of subgenre and really amp up a certain aspect whether it was blood or boobs it's one of the two you know uh, in this case it's blood mm -hmm. <laughs> um and set it in you know a a 
uh, what do you call it, rock bottom environment to make its characters really desperate and whatnot. But I never felt like, and I, I'm a fan of what I'm about to say, but I never felt like it was like a Robert Rodriguez type mocking of Grindhouse, which I, his parody, uh, Planet Terror, I actually really enjoy. I think it's hilarious. But this is way more in line of like what Quentin Tarantino tries to do, which is... It's probably a mix between the two in some yeah. way. Yeah. Where it, it's not only influenced by its predecessors from that uh, decade, but it's also quite enamored by them. Like it, it, I think it loves that whole era where we could make these kind of films, and even though not a lot of people went and saw them, it had a devout following. And this movie is no different. Um, I love the title, and I know that's a weird thing to say, but uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99 is so wonderfully off-kilter uh, from its own premise that that's, that's kind of what used to happen back then. They, they would make these cheap films in which they would sensationalize some uh, awful and, and a lot of times offensive aspect, whether it was brutality or something else. And then they would figure out what's like the most zygist uh, title. You know, what can get people in, in the seas because they think they'll know what the movie is about just from that title. Mm-hmm. And this movie has that kind of down to a T because he doesn't actually even go to prison until about 45 minutes into the movie itself. And, and the brawl is really somewhat inconsequential yeah. to the real story. Yeah. Here. Like there's violence in this movie, mm-hmm. but the idea that there is a quote unquote brawl in Cell Block 99 is really uh, <laughs> exaggerating. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, for good effect, because that's just what used to happen. Um, but uh, overall, I got to say, I, I think this movie is fantastic. I think Vince Vaughn is very well cast here. I think he pretty much carries this movie. Uh, even some of his awkward lines uh, where he makes jokes and such um, are just, I think, just wonderfully pinpoint exactly what he's trying to do here. The um, You brought up the I am I think it was IMDb that you read of uh, saying the former boxer yeah. line, right? So what's interesting about that is that that kind of got me thinking because that's definitely something uh, that IMDb, whoever wrote that, is highlighting in which, like, the movie itself doesn't quite, like... It it explains, like, it says, like, his Mm -hmm. character has a line, one line, about how he used to be in the ring when he was young. And just from watching the fight scene, that that is his basically fighting style for the most part. Um, but that got me thinking about a lot of things, which is that I love the way that this movie, um, basically makes him a former everything. Uh, you know, he's a former boxer. He's, uh, presumably a former, uh, I don't know if I want to say neo-Nazi, but skinhead in some way, in shape or form, even if it might not be in the most radical form that we're, especially in 2017, <laughs> uh, thinking of. It's not. It's, it's clear that. At some point, he thought of himself of as above minorities, and we can see it. I think explicitly, uh, or maybe not explicitly, but implicitly through uh, segregated shots. For example, um, we see the shot of him in his car when he's going down whatever, and when he comes to a stop, he looks and he sees a, a black man on the bench who I believe is either homeless or a drug addict or something like that. And that's not the only time in which we see his well, character. Well, he's next to a car that's clearly a Hispanic yes. person uh, with all of these stereotypes that he would yep. 
want to give to them. And he kind of looks at them and looks back. I'll, I'll give you this. Uh, I think it's definitely left at least ambiguous for the audience. I say it's ambiguous as to whether he still harbors those thoughts. Yeah, oh, right I, 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 I guess I'll be able yeah. to at least get with you. But I think that. it's pretty clear that at one point that was his M.O., so to speak. Um, because when he, when he's in the prison, for example, at Redleaf, the second prison, um, and he has to get to cell block 99, his whole, you know, like, I, I thought the colors of the flag was red, white, and blue, not red, white, and burrito, you know. Like, um, I feel like he's so good at playing that character because that's exactly what he would have said about a decade ago or so. And I think half of it has to do with his implied alcoholism, which is another former thing. Yeah. The idea is that he's a completely new person right now. Mm-hmm. And that's the ultimate tragedy of this entire movie. But I, I think they all went together. His alcoholism, his, I think at the point, either criminal days, his, I would assume, uh, neo-Nazi leaning. Well, uh so a couple things. Yeah. First of all, in terms of the neo-Nazi lean thing, I, I feel like that specific trait is definitely left ambiguous, which it doesn't mean it's right or wrong, yeah. whether which way you read it. Um, it's kind of left totally wide open because if he had a he, – he doesn't have a swastika tattooed on the back of his head. Yeah. He's got a cross tattooed he on does. the back of his head. And he never says anything throughout the film to – signaled he was a previous white supremacist or anything like that so that's why for me it's not left totally black or white (laughs) to the audience that he previously was a neo-nazi or anything like that but it's left wide open which anything to interpretation is is right there for what you're saying yeah i mean in terms of his actions throughout the, the prison scene i mean that to me at least, is also told up for interpretation because all he's trying to do is save his wife and his koala child. So Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm totally of the of the school of thought that everything he's doing in the timeline of the film that we're watching mm-hmm. is performative in some way. That he is goading a response out of, you know, his Hispanic prison uh mate so to speak or whatever else he does i mean when he's not in prison he makes the comment of um what is it uh with his uh gill or gale i always kind of skill gill uh when he talks to him who's his boss in the drug running world um a two things a he tells him that there's no way or no context in which Gale can use Gil can use <laughs> the N word in a polite way, which I thought was kind of funny. And also, also when true. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> also in the same scene, if not like a mere minute after or something or before, he makes the comment about how Gil says that he's got his uh basically he says gay mineral water but he doesn't say gay and he's like oh i didn't know mineral water had a sexual orientation so there was the use of the f word by somebody too it may have been by vince vaughn's character i think it was by don johnson yes because he says oh that's how those uh you know whatnot do it over at yes uh, the other prison yes yep. mm-hmm. okay um and he doesn't say anything to that you know i know but but it's still no there, right right so, yeah. but i'm saying like he's kind of like purposely doesn't say anything like mm-hmm. I won't. Um, so I'm all for, th- I, in my interpretation, that he is no longer such a way. But I, I definitely think there's at least some ambiguity, if not some Well, there, leaning... there's amb- ambi- ambiguity, but at the same time, for 
to your point, yeah. uh, it's it's at least pointing towards right. your thoughts on a this. lot of his art and, and, is him trying not to be what he once was. And and it is said that his wife is only two years clean, where he is like fourteen yeah. years clean. Yeah. So he's further along in yeah. getting away from his past, where his wife, who it's played that she's. I don't want to say in a bad way, but it's played that she's like more guilty than he is, which, um, you mean in like the beginning? What? Right. Where, where it's, she's only two years sober. She's the one who cheats, that kind of thing. Yeah. So she's viewed as somewhat of a weaker character than he is. She cheats. He has anger problems. Like, you know, they, they both have, I think their shares, which by the way Mm -hmm. is another shade of, I, I guess I wouldn't even say gray, but I love the fact that he finds out she's cheating and, Instead of beating his wife, he beats his wife's car. That was a good scene. That, there, yeah. there were a lot of good scenes in the early part of the film, which is actually a critique I'd have of this, mm-hmm. is that I feel like the best scenes of this film come in the more mundane part of it. I can see that. Whereas the better part of the film, which is the last 45 minutes or so. That's the uh, better stretch, mm-hmm. like from start to finish. But I think the best scenes happen earlier in the film. I can which, see that. Yeah. Because yeah. cause the scene where he is meeting with the initial person he meets in the holding cell, I believe it is, uh, right after he gets arrested, is actually, for me, the best part of the film. So, Are you talking about the the guy who's also a prisoner? That no, no. Oh, no, no. You're uh, this about... is the very first scene before he's like arraignment and everything. So you're talking about the guy who wants his possessions? No, I'm okay. talking about the very first. <laughs> we're <Okay>. really struggling here. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm going further and further back. That's fine. I'm not getting farther away. You were telling me that this uh, particular person who performed the scene was a producer on previous films. Oh, the yes. interrogation. Yes, I gotcha. Okay. Yes, um, I forget his name, but yeah, he was a producer of the Shield, and he worked. I know Clark Johnson. That's his name. Okay, uh, as a director of a lot of the Wire episodes. Okay, and he's in both of those shows as minor characters because I feel like both people who created created those shows were like, I feel like you look like a bureaucratic cop, which he totally does. Uh, but yeah, no, that scene where he's uh, interrogates, mm-hmm. really just talks to Bradley, uh, is, I agree, a fantastic scene. Yeah, and, and I think that's the best scene that this film has to offer for me, yeah. um, at least on a first pass, because you, this is your second time and you yeah. loved it the first time, and I just liked it this yeah. first time through. Uh, but that scene, and I thought a lot of his earlier scenes, specifically that and the scene where he is going to uh, get the drugs, and then we have the shootout-ish scene with him and the people he goes with, who we meet later in the film. Um, and then also the early prison scenes uh, involving Vince Vaughn's character, I think, are the best parts of the film, which is really before we get to the meat of this film that doesn't happen until maybe about 15 minutes in. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, That whole scene, by the way, with Clark Johnson as the cop that interrogates him, I agree, is fantastic. And one of the things I love about it is how Clark Johnson kind of interrogates him in the way that the audience would. Mm -hmm. Uh, He starts to basically speak out loud some of the things that I... I would think most people think, which are uh, his snide remark at first about how, like, oh, I bet you have a flag out in, in on your front porch, and he's like, I've got two, <laughs> which I actually think is hilarious because what, and then 
his immediate response to that is, oh, so you consider yourself a patriot. And I like that the character of Bradley Thomas doesn't actually answer that because I feel like he doesn't know how to answer that. And that one little moment and a lot of other moments is why this is one of my favorite movies of this year. If not, like, it's probably my top three for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is that this is somehow simultaneously the most inappropriately timed movie of 2017 and yet it's also the most appropriately timed because in a lot of ways this is a movie about a white male you know person who is feels like he's not getting his due so you know so to speak economic anxiety and presumably to a lot of certain bad qualities that we would uh, ascribe to someone of his like and then having to become a victim of the system, like his his worst prophecy is actually turns out to be true, and which, yet it, which, it's a lot which, more dirtier and 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 muddier than I think that. And if we want to follow that uh, mm-hmm. string, uh, we have him being told at the very beginning by a, a African American, I believe, that well, you know, if if things open up, we'll give you a call. Yeah, uh, and then too, we have him. His crime and the reason he goes to jail happening because of Hispanic drug dealers. Yeah. So I mean, uh, and I'm I'm, I'm I'm with you for sure on Vince Vaughn and this being a perfectly placed film in this time period. Like I feel like that this film came out like ten years ago, just kind of be off the yeah path a little bit. But at the same time, um, it's very interesting that a this happens to him and. He's completely, in terms of the audience's perspective, at least from what I could see, the protagonist here. But at the same time, he's being warned or tortured by minorities throughout this film. Yeah. And that's at some. And the even if you take the the opening scene in which he gets fired, let go from his job, mm-hmm. which I think is a wonderfully uncomfortable scene. He you know he arrives. In no way doing anything wrong. Just like doing his job. Doing his job, literally. And everybody in that place, I guess it's like a car towing place? Yeah, it seems yeah, that something way. Like that. Yeah. Whatever. But everybody in that place is not only two things, but it's not only slightly more dressed up than him, which is in and of itself, in my opinion, no fucking big deal. But there, it, it's a point of focus in that they all come out with at least a tie or something on and B, that they all have to come out <laughs> to to watch this. Like, it's one thing if a boss comes out, but the fact that everybody just has to... It, it is like every Trump voters... I'm sorry, but it is like that I heard them say, but committed to celluloid, that somehow everybody is out to get them. And that's what I... That's what makes this movie so fucking freaky to me, which is that it gives credence to that school of thought, but this is a fucking world of fiction, so I don't give a, you know, crap if, if it's real or if it's yeah. not real. It, 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 at the very least, it empathizes with uh, somebody who is at, at his heart reformed for what he's done. How about the idea, and we haven't hit on this, we, I guess I think I mentioned it earlier, yeah. but how about the idea of him, A, having a tattoo... Um, B it being somewhat of a skinhead, yeah, and C having the cross as a tattoo. So you've already brought religion in. Um, 
pretty much tattoos we are. We never like, hear him talk about God either. No, which I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but religion is like the hallmark of uh, a lot of people's thoughts, at least these days. When you talk about political. Politics yeah. and political parties. Oh, like, yeah. oh, you we know, almost separate. elected a pedophile because of it. Well, and <laughs> a lot of uh, thoughts of we should vote on um, Christian lines, which is very uh, concerning to me at least. Yeah. And I, I think it should be concerning to everybody because I don't think that should be a reason why anybody votes for anything. Right. It doesn't matter what you are, but that shouldn't be what... That should be the basis of what you vote for. I would, agree. I would agree. Just saying. So, but not everybody has no. that thought, obviously. <laughs> but um, the idea of tattoos and the workplace is definitely something still. Mm-hmm. And it's too bad that Kenny's not still because Kenny is someone who has tattoos that are visible. And I can tell a story really quick. Well, I, oh, sorry. Can I finish my thought real quick? Yes, you can. And then you can tell your story. <laughs> I'll just say that I don't necessarily at all believe that that should be the way you judge a person based on their abilities. Now, if they have a tattoo of a swastika on their face, that may be different. But if they have a tattoo that may be slightly visible, that doesn't mean that they're not a capable person. Yeah, I mean, the idea that you shouldn't be discriminated against because of quote unquote tattoo. Right. It, it should be the content. <laughs> Certainly, if you have a tattoo that says, I fucking hate black people, or <laughs> literally anything as blunt as that, in which a swastika certainly right. does, does the job, mm-hmm. then yeah, that's understandable because that's a message you decided to write on your body. Right. Um, I'll tell a, a very brief story, which is that not the library that I work for, mm-hmm. but I will not name the library for certain reasons, but a library in this area that I do know very intimately, um, I I know of a story in which a patron complained uh, that one of the workers who worked at that library um, had tattoos. And in this case, there was like a sleeve, mm-hmm. and nothing in the design of the sleeves were in any way offensive, like they could be, I don't know what they were, but they could have been roses. They could have been whatever. Mm-hmm. But the mere idea... That, that it was a tattoo. That was it. That this patron actually wrote a formal complaint that said, quote-unquote, something along the lines of, I'm not offended by tattoos, but I don't think my children should have... Ah. Yes, exactly. Uh, should have to see... The tat- usual. Yes. Yes. Um, and, and, and that, like, I know we live in a world in which far stranger things and discrimination has happened, but that was one of my wake-up calls where I just kind of was like, it reconfirmed the idea that people will get offended by anything that they just would never do themselves. Like, yeah, I'm never going to get a tattoo. That's me. Nick. I'm in the same boat with yeah, you. Nick yeah. Cheney speaking. I don't give a fuck who gets a tattoo. Like, I don't know how one somehow equates the other. Um, but that's a, that's a really general thing. Yeah. And Hey, let's jump into 2017 December do it. here. Hey, do it. Um, no, no, let's go past this year. Well, yeah. Sexual assault uh, in Hollywood was accepted up until Harvey Weinstein 
and let's just be blunt. Yeah, it for the most part was. Yeah, it, it's so. Uh, but now it's 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 we're getting to the point where at least it's appearing at this point in time in this month in December of this year yeah. that it's not accepted anymore, which is fucking great. Uh-huh. But um, the idea of of acceptable behavior and non-acceptable behavior is, is is really something that we have not well defined in yeah. this society we live in and the idea that somebody just having a tattoo which has been acceptable for generations uh is 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 really something yeah especially in the form of a cross or anything that would be described as art is is and it, it's it is like if you have a tattoo Anywhere on your body, and you go in for a job interview, you're likely not going to be considered. I, it's sad but true. Mm-hmm. And if we're bringing it back to this movie itself, like let's just say whatever the tattoo is, in this case it's a cross, but whatever the tattoo is, there is also a stigma against placement. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a tattoo, I have a friend who works at my library who has a tattoo on her ankle. Just just day to day, do you really think anyone's going to ever notice that? I mean, it's out in the open, but, you know, whatever. But if you have a tattoo, in this case, as our main character does, on the back of your bald, uh, quote-unquote, skin head, it doesn't matter what it is, it already conjures up Red something. Flag. Yes. Yes. And, and that's kind of what I like about this movie, in which he has to... And it's not a movie in which he's persecuted, so to speak. Like I'm not. If anybody hasn't seen this movie and you're and you're just listening to this because you're curious about what it is, you want to hear about Star Wars? Yeah, <laughs> but this is in no way a movie that somehow makes excuses for this character and somehow makes this about. I, I don't think anyone would think that Vince Vaughn is necessarily a good person no. throughout here. No. no, and but this is in no way a movie that's uh, shall we say trying to change your mind about. Uh, people who may or may not have walked his path, but at the end of the day, the central plot revolves around what anybody would conceivably do for their loved ones, and I don't mean literally do, because a lot of us, myself included, are not capable of uh, squashing a man's jaw out of his own skull to protect uh, That was a very... The the look... Of the violence in this film is very Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. Very like much. Sound editing is just oh. like music to my ears. No, it was it was the squashing. I mean, it was Planet Terror for sure. Yeah. Um, and also, oh, his early film that I really like, too. Oh, the one with George Clooney. George Clooney? Yes. Who, George Clooney? Oh, you're talking about from dust till dawn. Yes. Okay. I thought you moved to a different director first. No. Okay. But yes. No. But Robert Rodriguez, George Clooney, uh, a very prominent Quentin Tarantino acting role too. Uh, but that film from dust till dawn features some very fun sound editing, yeah. which I think is actually pretty prominent in the killing scenes in this film. Yeah. So, yep. Absolutely. I mean, there are scenes in which there this movie is nowhere near, I would say, the peak of its violence. Mm-hmm. But because of the sound editing, I mean, the scene in which uh, Bradley somehow corrals a slightly bigger guy in the prison yard and breaks, I guess, his spine. Like, I, I don't know exactly what bone is breaking, but you don't need to know which one to hear which one is breaking. And that scene alone 
is very like you remove that sound effect and clearly all he is doing is like hugging that guy mm-hmm. just you know stunt work wise but that sound effect Fear is of the mind. fucking disgusting yep and i and i love it and uh, between that and some of the other stuff honestly besides the jaw coming out of the the one guy <laughs> in cellbox 99 yeah. i think the most disgusting in a good way, um, scene in this entire movie is the initial fight between him and the African American. Um, what do you call it? It's like the guard. The guard who yeah. wants him to do the boxing, mm-hmm. because a it's the first time and one of the last times in which he's fighting someone who I think is a decent person, <laughs> and not a just a you know evil person whatever uh, because even when he gets to red leaf like those guards are sadistic and whatnot so how about the uh how about the guy who has kidnapped his wife and the guy who's performing the potential abortion i felt bad for that guy hey man that is that is just hate on asians (laughs) no for real i mean he's just the only asian character in the film and he's like upset that he's not able to perform this abortion and then he gets killed i mean you gotta make a living Okay, so it's funny because earlier in this movie, because we had to split it in half um, uh, to whatever, but you had asked me if there was uh, where this movie was kind of heading. Not that you were fishing for spoilers, but you were at, I can't remember the exact question. But I mentioned that yeah. there was no big twist or anything. But technically, there's no big twist, but the central conceit of this movie is all for naught, which is the idea that he's set out to kill a inmate that doesn't exist uh i'm curious before i say anything how you felt about that in general i mean uh, my my, cheap or was it no my 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 ultimate guess is that he his wife and his wife's child were meant to die yeah um because he was meant to get sent to cell block 99 where the other people were so that they could kill him and then eventually when he doesn't complete his task because he can't his wife and his eventual child would be killed, which obviously him being a hero, uh, he sacrifices himself so his wife and his unborn child can live as this film has its eventual ending. Um, but at the same time, I mean, that's that's what the story is really here, is that this evil organization is trying to, you know, hash out this silly kind of James Bondish plan yeah. on everybody. Um, but obviously it ends up getting foiled in a way, even yeah. though our protagonist dies. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. It's not even a reveal, because if you're not even paying attention, you almost don't realize. It's not like he never says, like, oh, there's no Christopher Bridge. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, it's true, though. In a much he doesn't more... have a Shutter Island moment. Yeah, but <laughs> like they're, they're in a much more, I would say, mainstream film, there would have been at least a couple lines of dialogue to make sure the audience realizes that, where it literally goes from the idea that he meets them in Cell Block 99, and the only time you ever really get any confirmation is when he talks to uh, Don Johnson's character and the other guards when he says, I have Eleazar. So there he just points out that he knows everything you know whatnot mm-hmm. um but i i absolutely love that idea in the sense that um i love the fact that from the moment uh udo Kier's character shows up that everything he's doing is just a, a a barrel train towards an awful conclusion like whether he succeeds or he quote unquote fails like 
there's no getting out of this, and all they're doing is pushing him, which is actually makes a lot more sense than, oh, we would want to use you, and we want you to kill some random dude. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, the the, uh, <clears throat> the idea from the syndicates or whatever we want to refer to them as plan is that he is supposed to fail and then he fails her so she dies feeling like her husband was a failure where obviously that doesn't end up happening um but that's i mean that that gets into the usual good versus evil kind of thing even if good necessarily i mean getting away from the tattoo silliness we were talking about a few minutes ago but you know well, I mean, Vince Vaughn isn't necessarily a good person. I was going to say, even if he wasn't a neo-Nazi, even if he was a whatever, he still very easily turns to the most brutal violence you yeah. can think of. But and will but... accept anybody as collateral damage. Because it's one thing to do it at like Red Leaf, it's another thing to do it at the yeah. first prison he's at. But at the same time, uh, film-wise, he is our protagonist in this film, and he accomplishes his goals. So sure his wife and uh, unborn child eventually... Make it out alive, and that's our conclusion to this. So it is. I'm. I love the scene in which he is talking to his not neighbor, but the prisoner across the hall at Redleaf, um, and it's before he goes back to cell block ninety nine with, or at least the room in which the others have holed up, and he's the the prisoner asks him if he has anybody at home, and he goes, "Yeah, two people I really care about." And he says the line about, um, do you think she'll stay true to you? And he says, yeah, she would have. As if he's already, of course, knows his fate. Which which I think he does. Yeah, exactly. Which is no big twist or anything like that. But like that, coupled with his phone call with Jennifer Carpenter, are two of my favorite acting moments in this entire movie. Where I think Vince Vaughn actually nails what he's doing. Like, it's not something I think should be... True Detective? I think a little bit, Just yeah. And it's it's in no way a performance that I, like I want to see nominated for something or whatever. But like I think he does go above and beyond the call of duty in this very raucous uh, and exploitation. Above and flip. beyond his usual capabilities. Yeah. He seems like he really got into this role, which probably says something about him. But I'm glad it does because it was fun. Yeah. Um... I had something else I wanted to mention, but it's escaping me now. Jennifer Carpenter, or no? I mean, she was she was good here. Uh, she hasn't had many opportunities lately, ever since Dexter. Um, yeah, well, that'll take a lot of careers. Well, Dexter was really popular for like a season. It was I. Well, I it, it was popular for like three seasons. Yeah, as far as the like, well, four especially because John Lithgow was mm-hmm. the big bad in the four seasons, which oh, John Lithgow. Is actually a fantastic, uh, I wouldn't say season of television, because it's kind of all over the place, but every scene John Lithgow is in. That's the second mention of John Lithgow on this episode. Hey, as it should be. Let me just say, if you love John Lithgow... I do. You should watch Dexter from start to, not finish finish, but (laughs) from start to, because you kind of have to, whatever, until the fourth season, because... Let me just say, mm-hmm. John Lisko is so good in the fourth season that uh, there is also an episode in the fourth season. Uh, it's a Thanksgiving episode in which I'm going to not spoil, spoil, but I'm just going to mm-hmm. say who his character is. But John Lisko plays a kind of rival serial killer, mm-hmm. and he has a very picturesque family. 
you know, his family is very, like, cute wife, adorable son, whatever. And, of course, they have no idea that he's a murderer. And Dexter gets invited to his uh, Thanksgiving dinner. And let me tell you, the entire episode... Now, is he aware of who he is? Yes. Okay. They are kind of dueling, so to speak. Okay. Neither will admit to the other who they are, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. or whatever. But that entire episode is focused on this Thanksgiving dinner from hell in which Dexter, who's supposed to be our protagonist, but, like, fuck that ideal, (laughs) but in which he has to witness John Lisko's character be this picturesque dag, like a a Clark Griswold whatever, with every moment punctuated by John Lisko's serial killer tendency, like a moment in which... Despite his like affable dad, I'm all whatever. Uh, he like will break his son's wrist if he does something wrong, like little things like that. And it is one of the most uncomfortable hours of television because with Lisko's, John Lithgow, yeah. with, I was gonna say with John Lithgow, and and you know what the um, best part of the whole John Lithgow storyline with this, which actually he's come come back, yeah, uh, which he hasn't been really in the you know usual mainstream lights since. Uh, third Rock from the Sun, probably. Yeah. I mean, he was an interstellar. Well, but... and there's Lord Farquaad. Well, that's an opinion. <laughs> but uh, recently with The Crown, he's come a little bit yeah, back into true. into mainstream limelight a little bit. You think Gary Oldman's pissed? It seems like that's not working out. I'm just saying, like, you you know, you're Gary Oldman. You do this thing for a living as far he's as... He's really like... pushed that he went all the way I'm to just saying, like, him. even when he's not just... Churchill, but he's the other, like, he gets really into that role, whatever. But then, like, like if I was an actor, and I gave myself over to a role, and I found out that John Lithgow was playing Got you a year the same exact character, a I mean, certainly earlier. different property, but yeah, in the same time span, I would be like, oh my god, I have no reason to live. Gary that Oldman's had his chance. He, he, he missed. Did. Gary Oldman's had his best parts of his career. I agree. They happened. John Lithgow's just getting started, baby. Eh, probably not. But Gary Oldman, his best times were in the late nineties. He's he's done. Yeah. Even with Harry Potter, hey, good for him. Get yeah. paid. Uh, really quickly before yeah. we go to ratings, mm-hmm. and I think we may have brought this up, but it's been almost three years now. But me and you went and saw John Lithgow perform we uh, did. in Aurora, and he just. Pretty much did a one-man performance of two uh, stories as he read them off. And I know myself as a John Lithgow fan, uh, I very much enjoyed it. But it was just a very interesting moment to see an actual stage-slash-film performer uh, recite these two stories. And you know what? I felt like even if it is just an actor performing, then that's definitely he's doing a great job. But I felt like he actually enjoyed putting on these two performances that he read these stories of. And he actually wanted to be there. And, again, maybe that's just him being a great actor and him just... I don't think you do that sort of thing. It's not like he was doing a show in which he did a one-man show about his career or something. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like his that specific show. You don't do that sort of thing unless you are genuinely... Passionate. Yes, and just yeah. happy to connect with people. But um, I've always been a huge fan of him from, you know, all the way from his early days as playing villains and yeah. different things to third rock to different roles even stuff like footloose back in the day yeah but um 
it was such a joy to see him perform that those different you know stories live and now to see after that his career has been somewhat reinvigorated yeah. um i i just love it i think he's a great performer so i agree just want to throw that out there yeah so going to ratings um I really do want to watch this film again because I think there's more to tease out for anyone after just one viewing. Um, but I'm going to give this a pretty decent rating, I think, of three out of five. Is that I don't love this film, but I think this is a very well done film. Um, good performances here throughout, especially from Vince Vaughn. Jennifer Carpenter was actually really good, yeah. as, as you were a little bit alluding to. In a minor-ish role. I mean, she's only on screen for probably like nine minutes. Yeah. Um, and also Don Johnson. I love Don Johnson. He's great. He's fantastic in whatever <laughs> he does that I've seen. I like the way he asked Bradley if he's, like, done with his phone call. Like, <laughs> it's it's so weird because he was introduced as some kind of overarching villain, whatever. But, like, he's also very practical. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, if I'm going to kill you, I can give you another minute type thing. Yeah. Anyway. And he knew how that was going to end. Oh, so yeah. He's obviously been here before. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, this isn't necessarily the greatest film for me. Yeah. Um, there are, There's nothing here that makes me happy or joyful or makes me laugh, even though there are a couple of comedic moments earlier on in this <laughs> film. Uh, but I still think this is a very worthwhile film that uh, is not something I would have picked out or something I would have thought that would have been worthy of a positive rating so um it's three out of five for me and i'd like to watch it again at some point so. at the very least would you say it's better than the pedigree of the idea that it hasn't really been seen like yeah. the fact that nobody's watching it is kind of silly because there's got to be people out there that would like it no i mean and um going into this and yeah. having no idea what it is even i've never even viewed a trailer of this um the idea of it and the just the kind of preconceived notion brought me to something like the raid, as, yeah. I, as I brought to you. Just the the uh, title, uh, the look of at least the photos I'd yeah. seen from it. Uh, and this is nothing really like the raid or the yeah. raid two, uh, which I think does this film a bit of a disservice because that preconceived notion leads us into a totally different path. And I think these are both, but kind of like Bradley, you're judging a book by its cover. Well, there's something. Um, <laughs> But the raid and the raid two are great for much different reasons, yeah. and this film is good. Um, and even though I like those films more, I think this film is is still very worthwhile. Um, yeah, so I give it three out of five, and and I I think anyone who likes films and also films that are telling at points very original ish stories, at least in certain scenes, uh, should give this film a chance. So yep. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of this movie. Uh, Considering this is the year that I got into exploitation, horror, hardcore. I mean, this is when, like, this is like, if this film was made in the, well, not exactly like this, but this film was made like 30 years ago, this would be like right up the Vinegar Syndrome alley. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's that exact kind of personality and aesthetic. Um, but here we just have a much more modern retelling. Uh, S. Craig Zoller is in no way interested in homaging them as much as he is in just pretending like we haven't <laughs> had 30 years worth of cinema in between what he's making now and um, when this 
was the heyday on the 42nd Street in New York and such. And I, I love it for that. And, and like I mentioned earlier, every decision in this movie, in my opinion, whether it's the title um, or even just the, the protagonist, at least the choice of who our protagonist is, is one slightly turn of the knife in the gut of like, should I really be watching this and (laughs) liking this? Because on the one hand, this is kind of, I I hesitate to use use the phrase fucked up because it's not so much that it's so disturbing, which certainly it has violence that could be constituted as that, but that like, do we really need another story about, you know, this particular subset and, um, Especially when the deck is stacked so uh, high against him. So, yeah, I know you're in the m- no. mid of your rating, but if Vince Vaughn was replaced in acting by Robert Englund in this film, would you give it the same rating? Robert Englund. Mm-hmm. That is quite the um, recasting. Um, I don't think I would give it the same rating. Okay. Because I don't think Robert England can act without uh, a mask over his face. I've seen him act without a mask it's over bad. his face. It's not great. It's not good. It's not good. But I, but uh, I guess that's what I'm going for. Would no. this have the same effect if somebody like Vince Vaughn or anyone who could at least give a decent performance was not acting in the lead role? Absolutely not. In fact, that's actually one of my favorite things about this movie, which is, I think, the casting from the top to the bottom. Uh, I think every supporting character that comes, uh, even it doesn't matter how little they're on screen, whether it's his first uh, friend in the first prison uh, to the two cops that make random uh, jokes slash uh, guesses about like penis size and other things. Uh, was that? I was going to say really quickly, yep. I had a thought that escaped me earlier that yeah, I yeah. want to bring up before I forget about Go it, ahead. if you don't mind. Nope. So, I will say this. Uh, one of the parts of this movie that is definitely on purpose, but at the same time should not go unnoticed, uh, is that Gil makes it out without any sort of problem against him. Of course he does. And he's just a white top drug dealer yeah. who seems to be mm, kind of just taking advantage of the system throughout. His entire conversation early on with him and Bradley were... Bradley is clearly, you know... Knocked down. Uh, well, I was going to say clearly knows his shit. Like, knows when a deal will go bad or good before he even gets into it. It doesn't it, really cause... matter because Gil's made the deal already. Exactly. And so the idea when he says, you have to do this to protect my interests. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you... Our interests. Yeah. But <laughs> he's like, you only say that because you know you won't get... So, like, there's literally no risk for you. But yet, he's the one who comes out totally fine in the end. Of course. Mm-hmm. And and that, in and of itself, is why I also love this movie. Because I yep. do think there is a pretty scathing uh, critique of capitalism, which is in no way something we've never seen in a movie before, because that's very, <laughs> if not in vogue right Even now. Even in something like, stuff like John Wick. It's, yeah, it's no, I mean, it's, up it's, it's yeah. up there. So I'm just glad this movie doesn't really shy away from that. Um, and, and that's what I think I love most about exploitation of the genre, which is that everything is dialed to 11 when it comes to the logistics and how uh, the plot progresses, so that even when we're in a scene such as that one, um, we're given something to kind of be uh, outraged by. <laughs> um, and, and we're seeing injustice in some way or another, which is something that 
the protagonist, Bradley Thomas, takes to heart because he literally kills two drug dealers just to not see cops die. And, mm-hmm. um, and well, kills one. Kills one. And then the other one is left to fight him in the yes. prison later, which he kills him then. Yes. And, <laughs> um, and, and, and that whole thing, though, is, is pretty much this movie in, in a nutshell, which is uh, continually watching a protagonist we pretty much would never talk to in real life. Like, we would not like this person for a lot of good reasons. But that's mostly because we would never want to talk to them. And also, too, about a person who would kill someone who is doing something that is wrong in front of them, but would pretty much bite their tongue to save their boss? Yes, absolutely. Yep. So, yeah, I give this movie a four and a half out of five. Yeah, I know. You love this It's one. pretty much right up my alley. Um, I, I have a this lot of... This is a reverse of Star Wars for us right here, by the way. It is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> um, it, it's right up my alley. It's a lot of fun, even when it shouldn't be. Yeah. And, um, frankly, I really hope that uh, S. Craig Zoller makes more movies, because between this and Bone Tomahawk, he is making some of the best genre movies out there right now. This is what... Um... This is what Detroit should have been. And I know that it's a much different storyline, but that the the arc throughout that film, yeah, I think it like a yeah. I think that this could have been made in that way with this kind of film would have been way better. You can see that because one of the most interesting about this film is that I did not expect this before I first watched it, but in a movie or in a movie, in a year in which we had a new saw movie I was kind of surprised that the most disgusting thing I'd see all year was this movie. Uh, as far as like, brutality and violence. It's more screen. Robert Rodriguez Tarantino violence, though. Here. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not like... It, I'm not saying it keeps me up at night. <laughs> but I'm sorry, but the the moment in which... Uh, he turns over the one body after he had dragged his face along the concrete. Oh, yeah, man, And you great. see the skin flayed uh, yeah. over. Uh, like, I'm, I don't even think Tarantino would do something. I, I feel like Tarantino goes to 11, sure, but this was kind of a 12 in how Tarantino loves blood. He doesn't love, <sighs> I'm just saying, Tarantino loves blood, but he he's not as concerned with other body parts out inside the skin. Can you name another moment in which he's... I don't think so. He loves squibs, and that's about it. Which is totally fine. And it's disgusting in a lot of ways. I mean, we see... uh... We see jaws come out of people. We see uh, literally uh, elbows and femurs come out. uh, We do not see bones in... And let me tell you, (laughs) if you think this movie is disgusting, Bone Tomahawk has... A much worse oh, money I'm shot. Not, I'm not saying it's disgusting. Okay. Um, I'm just saying that I don't feel like Tarantino is like taking it easy compared to this. No, I don't think he's taking it easy. Because um, I'm... I'm just saying I think he does it in a more like first-person shooter way. Like mm. blood splatters. I suppose. It's disgusting I mean, in his I own mean, way. I mean, if, if we want to take just one example of his most recent work, uh, um, Bob's face... Uh, yeah. In in I mean his entire head just explodes right there. It does, there. but it's, it explodes into a cavalcade of blood, and I feel like certain guts are missing. Like, <laughs> I, I I just think Tarantino, in a good way, does those effects to look the exact way he wants it to, and not which, which, which the is, I, I think way why I, that would gross out the audience the most. Which is why I was saying that this is 
a pretty good marriage between Tarantino yeah. and Robert Rodriguez because if you see like the best of Robert Rodriguez, which is for the most part, if you're looking for gore in Planet Terror, I mean, we have body parts that are melting away and yeah, that kind of shit. For so, sure. yeah. I'll say this. Uh, S. Craig Zoller's uh, previous film, Bone Tomahawk, which I think you might like more. To be... uh, I could see that. You, I've never seen it. But, right. It, it's got a very, very good script and a fantastic supporting cast of Richard Jenkins, uh, Kurt Russell, Matthew Fox, and um, Matthew Fox is underutilized. He's fantastic. He might be the best part of that movie, which mm. I was surprised by, and Patrick Wilson in that movie. Um, this movie, Brawl in Cell Block 99, is more violent than that movie, but that movie has a moment in which puts this movie to shame. Me and a friend watched that movie, and we both were like kind of dry heaving. Because... <laughs> It was, and I'm someone who really doesn't get uncomfortable by gore or anything like that. But there's a moment in Bone Tomahawk that just thinking about it just kind of makes me want to go, uh, uh, because it is it is fucking disgusting, and you'll never you'll never see anybody do that in a movie ever. So Man. Anyway, yeah, all right, making it to Lars around true territory here for a moment. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it as much as you did, and I definitely think uh, both of us would recommend this to uh, anybody listening out there. If you out there have any thoughts on this, uh, send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, although apparently we don't respond to our Facebook page. That's great for us. Uh, Again, that is at filmtankshow. So... We don't really have a set plan for our next episode. We'll figure it out. We've talked about trying to do I, Tanya, mm-hmm. but that's if we are able to see it, because yeah. this is a really weird time of year when a lot of films come out that people want to see, but they don't come to theaters anywhere around us. So yeah. we're planning to see I, Tanya for our next episode, but it might end up being Batman Forever. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. But, um, again, any thoughts on uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99 or on uh, the Star Wars Last Jedi film, you can always send them on to us at Film Tank Show or on our social media websites. So, from Kenny Marcellus, also Nick Cheney, and myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much to catching up with us here at Film Tank, and we'll catch up with you next time.